Hi, this is Steve. The great American playwright and actor Sam Shepard died a few weeks ago due to complications from ALS. I first encountered Shepard through a dog-eared copy of his seven plays while a freshman studying theater at UC Berkeley. I was haunted by True West and absolutely stunned by Barry Child, for which he won a Pulitzer Prize. Sam Shepard, the playwright, became a stark, unknowable, almost mystical figure in my life. In The Right Stuff, Sam Shepard, the actor, is no less iconic. His performance as Chuck Yeager is spare, tough, and in some fundamental way, quintessentially American. 1983's The Right Stuff is as ambitious as it is unusual. Sometimes dramatic, sometimes mystical, and sometimes really, really funny, it follows the story of test pilots turned astronauts at the beginning of America's space program. It features an incredible ensemble of actors who would all go on to be stars on their own, such as Dennis Quaid, Fred Ward, Ed Harris, Scott Glenn, Barbara Hershey, and the hilarious Jeff Goldblum and Harry Shearer. The Right Stuff is a big, beautiful, inspiring film about a moment in America when great heroes risked their lives to push the boundaries of what was possible. So, that's The Right Stuff, in honor of the great Sam Shepard, this Friday on The Cinephiles. Oh, and one more thing. We know a bunch of you like to watch the films we feature before you listen on the podcast. Well, guess what? From now on, we suggest you buy them through us because the cinephiles has a brand new website with every podcast we've ever recorded and links to purchase every film we've discussed on the show we're really proud of it we'd love you to check it out at cinephiles.net that's c-i-n-e dash f-i-l-e-s dot net okay we'll see you on friday for the right stuff Welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a great film, we explore its themes, the history, the filmmaking, and the influence it has on us today. My name is Steve Morris. I am a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hey, everyone. I'm John Roca. No. <laughs> no, 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 no. Hey, everyone. My name is John Roca. I'm a voiceover artist, host of numerous shows, and occasionally an actor in Los Angeles. I only did that because... Steve at the Gwinnia Podcast was wondering if we should just say our names and not talk about what we do uh, outside when we're not recording these uh, episodes. And I thought, no, no, it, won't, it, it wouldn't sound good. And people are still discovering us. And so I like when Steve talks about all the stuff he – like his credentials for talking about a movie. So I just wanted to show him well, what it's like we just said our names. I also have a graduate degree and an MFA in film production, a See, BFA in theater and po- political science. And now you're being a hoity-toity. I'm an Eagle there's, Scout. There's no need for all that. Now you're just being... I've got a 1420 on my SATs. <laughs> now you're being lugubrious. Is that the right word? No. We have a, ge- <laughs> we have a genius back as our guest, so I have to ask. <laughs> lugubrious was not the right no, word. No, I don't know what <laughs> Lugubrious means sad. <laughs> and we're also very happy to welcome our good friend back to the cinephiles, Dave Rapp. Dave Rapp, of course, is a writer of animation, of procedurals, and also someone has studied something that is very much related to the show movie we're going to talk about today, 
Dave, welcome once again to The Cinephiles. Thank you. I am so excited. I was so happy to be here last time because that was probably my favorite film. And then you asked if I wanted to do this one, and I went way over the top. I read the book. <laughs> I watched the DVD. Wow. I watched you all the, the extras. Book? I just asked you like a couple of days ago. I know. Ago. I'm oh. like, I'm crazy. Like you guys studied, as you just sure. mentioned, you studied film. And you studied acting. I studied planes and rockets. Well, so I'm super excited to be talking about them. Well, <laughs> and since you mentioned planes and rockets, we should probably say that today's film is The Right Stuff, yes. a movie filled with possibly more planes and rockets <laughs> than any other movie in the history of film. And astronauts. Um, and, of course, the reason we're doing the film today is uh, because we lost the great uh, Sam Shepard, uh, one of our great playwrights mm-hmm. and actors. Yeah. And um, I wanted to give just a little bit of background to Sam Shepard because he's just a fascinating person. Um, he uh, grew up in rural California, seemed to have a pretty tough upbringing with an alcoholic dad who was not easy on him uh when asked what he learned from his father well the main thing that sam shepherd said was i learned to show no emotions wow and i was like that's a heavy that's a heavy thing to take away he left his uh his family went off to, on the road to be an actor ended up in the east village in the late 60s and he was in the center of it as it just starting as a bus boy in like jazz clubs and he uh, date, you know, had an affair with Patti Smith. He hung out with Bob Dylan. He, you know, was part of this earth, late 60s theater movement where he worked with Joe Chaikin, who, by the way, my first professional theater job was as Joe Chaikin's personal assistant. Oh, wow. So I carried around his address book that had Sam Shepard and Samuel Beckett's phone number. Oh, and, my God. Yeah, it was a very, like precious thing it's also the first and only job i've been fired from <laughs> so um made this but it was a great experience and did he um, catch you copying the phone numbers down on a piece of paper? that's right <laughs> and he wrote these very avant-garde plays working with joe chaikin and the and the group theater at the time and then came out to the magic theater in san francisco which of course is where i'm from and so again i worked at the bay area players festival which was connected to the people i knew all these people that had worked with sam shepherd and it was there that he did probably his most important plays including true west and curse of the starving class and Barry Child for which he won the Pulitzer Prize. And I remember reading Barry Child in college and I had very much the same experience that I had reading Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, Mm. which is it totally destroyed me. Wow. (laughs) And just, it's such a brilliant piece of writing. Um, And so in addition, but we're not talking about Sam Shepard, the playwright. Mm -hmm. We're talking about Sam Shepard, the actor. And he has a tremendous presence on screen, starting with, um, he's in Days of Heaven, um, where he's amazing, and and but this is the role, this is the acting role that I really think of him playing Chuck Yeager in the right stuff. Absolutely, yeah, I, and I and I remember being such a fan of Sam Shepard when I started getting into theater, I started training whatever, like seven play that book, seven plays. Yeah, Sam I Shepard. read like, it over and over again. Oh yeah, it's all dog-eared and ripped apart and highlighted and pencil written all over it, and it's it's just a book because you discover these kind of because you're used to like Shakespeare and his higher Samuel Beckett and his higher falutin kind of playwrights in my opinion, and then you get someone that's a little more into the feels like an everyday kind of thing. And growing up in the South, you have that you can connect you know people like in his place i have met people like in his place some of us have a friend a common friend who kind of reminds me a lot of sam shepherd and how he sure. handles his life and deals with things <laughs> and so you know there's a lot that that i feel you're talking about mike with. vogel right yeah totally <laughs> yes very outlandish no but uh, it, it's 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 something that always spoke to me so and it's ironic that as a guy he's learned from his dad no to show no emotions and here he is writing about emotions in plays and also uh, conveying those emotions in as a successful actor for numerous decades. Absolutely. Yeah. But also in this American Western tough guy yeah. 
realm, yep. you know, and yep. explores that in a way that I don't think anything else, anyone Agreed. else has. That's way it stands out. Yeah. And there's one more thing I have to say about Sam Shepard, which is when I first had heard that he passed away, I didn't right away find out that he had died from ALS. And, no. and ALS is what my dad died from. Oh, wow. And so okay. I just feel I need to talk about this just yeah, a little bit. Sure. So, so ALS is, you know, ulterior lateral sclerosis, which we know is Lou Gehrig's disease. And what happens to patients and what happened to, what happened to my dad was... One day, his arms just weren't working as well. Hmm. And after a year of losing strength in his arms, he eventually got a diagnosis. And the way you get diagnosed with ALS is it's, they figure out it's not anything else. It's a process of elimination. We've tried everything. You're losing muscle strength. It must be ALS. Hmm. And first, he lost strength in his arms. And then he couldn't feed himself. He couldn't use his hands. Mm-hmm. Then he couldn't walk. He was in a wheelchair. Then he was bedridden. Then he really couldn't take care of himself in any way. He started to lose the ability to speak. And as he lost the ability to control his lungs, uh, he died. Yeah. And um, it's a really, really terrible disease. And my family's been really dedicated to working with uh, ALS. It's my, my mom is now the chairman of the Golden West chapter of the ALS Association. And I just wanted yeah. to say a couple things. And then we'll get back to talking Absolutely. about the movie. Sure. But I just felt that <clears throat> I couldn't go on without saying, talking about the fact that while it's an extremely difficult to diagnose disease, and it is fatal... They've made huge strides in the last few years in science, largely because, or not largely because, but a lot of the, the what's contributed to that was the big ice bucket challenge of a couple of years mm, ago yes, that yes. raised so much money for ALS. And mm-hmm. it's so important because when you combine ALS with the other neurodegenerative diseases like Parkinson's and Alzheimer's, it's the, if you combine all those together, it is the fifth highest cause of death in the United States, Mm. all these neurodegenerative disease. And the research going into ALS is helping with all of these. And so if you wanted to contribute or find out more, you can just visit ALS.org or I'm sorry, ALSA.org. And there's a lot of information there and a lot of ways you can contribute. And that's all I'm going to say, but I felt it was important at this point. And uh, I'm glad you did. And now let's let's talk about uh, the right stuff. So super serious, man. Uh, Yeah. I poured ice water on myself and donated. Donated. So there we go. And by the way, it was surprisingly cold. Yeah, it was surprisingly (laughs) cold. I remember doing that. I remember people pushing back against this going like, oh, these are just people doing, you know, blah, blah, blah. You're trying to be hipsters or whatever, trying to be cool with what's going on. It raised so much money. Who yeah. gives a shit if you were a hipster? Yeah. It raised so much money. So I'm glad you brought out that that money actually went to the organization and actually made a difference. Yeah, it's and they really, really are making huge, huge yeah, strides in terms of this disease. Um, so the right stuff. Yeah. The right stuff starts with Tom Wolfe. And uh, you say you just read the book. How was it? Re- I haven't read it. Um, I was thinking about reading it. I haven't read it in years. Uh, it was it was really good. <laughs> I, I, I came to the movie first, and then I read the book after I had originally seen the movie. Me too. And uh, I went back to it and forgot what a good writer Tom Wolfe is, and how how much I love his style and how engaging it is. And um, there's so much of the dialogue in this movie that is straight out of the pages. Right the mm-hmm. Just a bunch of the phrases that the astronauts use, but actually just actual dialogue that is just pulled right from his stuff because his writing is so good that, that Philip Hoffman just very put it right in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what I remember from the book, which I think I read 20 plus years ago, is that Chuck Yeager overshadows the book in exactly the same way he overshadows the movie. Mm, Just the power of that character that's going to be played by Sam Shepard is so big. And from everything I understand, he still to this day, and he's still alive, is hanging over the the Air Force, is hanging over NASA, Mm. and is hanging over all pilots in the world. That he just has this huge influence. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, I, I could say so much. You guys are probably gonna have to rein me in because I want to. I want to make sure I just talk about the movie and don't compare it to what's in the book and don't compare it to real life. But like, it's also good and there's so much stuff. But Chuck Yeager, it, they they talked about the casting of this and they were able to get the the seven astronauts really well and get people that who, who look like them a lot and and it's a great great cast. But they said they the hardest part was was coming up with chuck yeager and mm. and they didn't know who could do it and sam Shepard was you know sort well, of a last ditch well philip coffin is the director uh and he was brought in by erwin winkler and robert chardoff who great producers did he wanted him. sam Shepard. my understanding is he wanted him from the beginning and winkler and chardoff were against it uh. and they said well we just don't know if he can act right. like this and Philip Kaufman said, give me a minute. And he went away for a couple of days and came back and he had cut 70% of Jaeger's lines and said, here, what about this? And that's what, and they said, okay, we think Shepard can do that. <laughs> and his silence in this film is yeah. palpable. Yeah. yeah. Um, one thing I realized I didn't ask because we rushed right in was I didn't yeah. ask John, how did you first come to the film? Oh, I saw it in the theaters with my parents. Like we, we would go back in the days in the eighties, you'd go as a family, right? You would go as a family to go see movies, you go together. And this, this is one of those ones that I just was so into the space program when I was younger. I think a lot of boys are into being astronauts and going in space and whatever, you know? And so it was when I saw the trailer for it, what am I 12 or 13? I just knew immediately, like I wanted to go see this. It was one that I encouraged my parents to take our entire family to go see. And so it, those days you couldn't I couldn't go by myself obviously and I had to go with uh, my family so it was one that I thoroughly enjoyed and it's one of those films that came out and you're like three hours and f- like almost 15 minutes film and this was a rarity back then it didn't have an yeah. intermission either it was like straight no, through this is a hold your bladder sort of <laughs> exactly <laughs> this was like, but it was fascinating to watch at that age that film because they it, Really, there was the combination of personality and all the travails of the space program, which you don't really get to know unless you do the research on it, because you only see the ones that are successful. Right at that time, I wasn't too knowledgeable on what happened with Gus Grissom. I wasn't too knowledgeable on on the Apollo thirteen situation. Like I wasn't that knowledgeable, and so to see kids, right, exactly. So to see it play out uh, on screen was a, a great way for me to enjoy history again. And I'm such a massive history buff; it just hit all the right buttons for me. Dave, I want to ask you a different question. Okay. When did you first get obsessed with space? <laughs> um, I honestly was thinking about it watching this movie, and I think this movie had a lot to do with it. Mm. Yeah. Uh, my dad worked for an aerospace company, and so he, he was sort of the foot in the door. And I had, when, when, the, when the shuttle program started, I had one of the original patches from, the, from Crippen and Young's first wow. shuttle thing, which I hope is still in a box in my parents' basement. Um, <laughs> And, you know, my my sixth grade uh, science fair I did on the space shuttle and my eighth grade science fair I did on the B-1 bomber because they built that in parts of it in Columbus where my dad worked. And so my dad would sort of bring stuff home and was feeding me this this excitement and this movie. Uh, I didn't get to see it in the theater because I was the youngest kid and nobody wanted to go with me. <laughs> All of my siblings were, were teenagers and uh, did not want to go with me so i had to wait till it came on tv and i watched it or came on hbo and i watched it and was just enwrapped and i had it on vhs it was two two tapes yeah, two you tapes. had to stop in the middle and put the other tape mm-hmm. in. <laughs> and before you came out to hollywood to be a writer mm-hmm. what did you what was your plan what did you want to be when you grew up i wanted to be an astronaut and my you, i wanted to go do? to the air force academy and be a pilot be a fighter pilot and yeah. i i got a I went through all the tests and got all the recommendations. You have to get a congressional recommendation. You have to pass all this stuff. You have to get pilot certified. And 
And then uh, I ended up, uh, we'll skip over the other parts, and ended up not going to the Air Force Academy, and but going to uh, school to study aerospace engineering because I still wanted to, I still wanted to do that. And I interviewed with NASA when I in my senior year, and I was like, that's all I ever wanted to do. Wow. <laughs> so, so, so if you're wondering why we've brought animation writer Dave Rack on to the Cinephiles <laughs> today, it's because you really know about this stuff, <laughs> yep. you know, and and so. And I know, I can't wait. I see you have pages of notes. <laughs> yeah. And I, can't. I have pages of notes. I have tattoos all over my body right. of the what's space the program. <laughs> yeah. What's the tattoo on your right arm there? I have, I have the Wright Brothers first airplane. I have uh, the gem, uh, not Mercury, but I have a Gemini capsule that has mm. the first spacewalk. I have the space shuttle on my shoulder. I have a, I have Sputnik on here. Wow. I have a Blood lot of, th- there's, yeah. I know. Where's the monkey? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Shall we get in the... Oh, I'll tell you mine. Because it's oh, not yeah. A, yeah. It's not interesting. I don't <laughs> think I saw it in the theater. I think we rented I rented it on VHS, and I think we watched it with my whole family. Yeah. But it wasn't like a... I, I don't have a good story about it. Well, it's a family movie. Yeah, It absolutely. really is. There's, there is only a little bit of illusions to things, but it's a very... If it yeah. hadn't been three hours and 12 minutes long, and we hadn't been in a rush, I would have watched it with my son. Oh. But it just... Enough. And this is something I should say. So, th- in watching this movie... I think I put this movie in the same category that I put the Lord of the Rings series mm-hmm. in it, which is don't treat it as a movie, treat it as a miniseries. Yeah. Mm. Like I, I think that this as a three night, one hour a night movie is great. Mm-hmm. I think as a one night, three hour and 12 minute movie is long. Yeah. yeah. This is not fast paced. It is a long movie, so our warning, you know, the the cinephile Surgeon General warning on this is that this is not quick. Yeah, no, I mean that's that's why it never comes up in my uh, when I'm thinking about my favorite movies is because I don't watch it a lot because it's so long. Yeah, and and it, but going back to it, it just it, I, there's so much in it that I love. Yeah, and since it's so long, I know there are some movies where we our episode on it was much longer than the actual <laughs> film. Yeah. I'm really hoping this is not the case here. Well, We're going to try to keep this one moving along. I don't know. With Raps notes, we'll see. You're we'll going to have to rein me in. So the movie opens up. We have some black and white images with some narration about breaking the sound barrier. And some of this is from archival footage, and some of this is from you know stuff that they shot. Uh, and we intro the idea of the, the X1, which is this Bell Labs plane that's designed to break the sound barrier, and this world of test pilots. And it's a world of test pilots that's so key to the right stuff. Hmm. And there's down in Edwards Air Force Base in California, there are these test pilots, and the rate of death among these test pilots is so high. Crazy high. Yeah. You know, it's like one in five or one one in four for a lot. I mean, I don't, reading the book, it was, it was at least one in four. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, and I don't, there's nothing in our world today that's like that. One in four people doing a job are going to die. Yeah, but that's how it is, right? When you're starting out doing something and you're pushing the limits, there are going to be casualties, there are going to be losses. And this is is that desire to do, you know, and where does this come from? Where was this inspiration at that time to be a part of this program? Where is that coming from in the 60s and the late 50s? Like, what is that inspiration? Is it World War II? Is it, what is the flight? That's the thing that what inspires these people to start pushing the sound barrier. It's interesting. I think there are a lot of answers to this question. Yeah. And I think this is something we're going to talk about throughout is that, first of all, there's obviously the Cold War. There's obviously the growth of the American military. There's obviously economic reasons that we wanted to learn about flight. But I think there's this other thing that's really highlighted in this film, which is this spirit of exploration Mm -hmm. and pushing the envelope. Mm -hmm. This, maybe we'll call it the right stuff. (laughs) You know, and that's something that's throughout this film. And I think there's something... 
a uniquely frontier American spirit mm-hmm. that exists within this film yeah. that maybe we've lost a little bit now, you know? Well, we, we've been everywhere we need to go. Oh, my God. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, Mars. Yeah. Um, there's a very, very scary crash right at the beginning. Yeah. yeah. And one of our, our test pilots dies flying the X-1. And we go off to notify the wife. Yeah, and that's a great uh, transition into it because because the opening sequence is is sort of newsreel type mm-hmm. where it's it's a crop frame and and you've got voiceover and then the moment of the crash is is you know sort of that Wizard right. of Oz moment where it t- everything turns to color right. and now you're really in it and it's alive and it's something that has to be dealt with so it's very uh, moving I think and the casting is great because that guy is like almost like an undertaker walking up to the oh, house that guy, and that yeah. poor woman yeah. does a great job acting that scene that's our only scene in the movie the and, and we immediately set what the stakes are yep we are at a funeral we see sam shepherd we also see barbara hershey for the first time yeah. um we hear that it's sam shepherd who's going to go fly this uh x1 he's going to fly it the next time and he rides out to look at the x1 And the way it's treated with him looking down at this plane that's literally belching fire is mystical. Mm -hmm. It's not treated. This is, and this is what's interesting about this film is this film is going to go from genre to genre. And right now it is a mystical fighting the dragon film. Definitely. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that's interesting is that the cinematographer of this film is the same cinematographer we've now talked. This is our third film we've talked about for him. Oh. And each one has had a mystical element. Mm. And that's Caleb Deschanel, mm-hmm. yeah. who filmed The Natural and he filmed uh, Black Beauty. Yep. Both of which are sort of these films that have these strange mystical sides to them. Yeah. And you see it here with Sam Shepard looking at the X1. Definitely. And and there's the, the that opening narration too talks about there's a demon out there that, that right. lives in the lives in the air and, and now he's got this thing and it's orange, you know, all like fire colored and it's spitting fire out. It's very uh very symbolic. Yeah, Desno does a great job of, of combining Americana with this mystical element. Yep. It's a it's a it's an it's an incredible tightrope to walk and he does it every time in one of his, in his films. It's funny, until we were doing the cinephiles, I didn't know he was one of my favorite cinematographers. <laughs> I and now so, I do. No, same. When you guys talked about the natural, I was yeah. like, Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's amazing. He's well, when you meet, amazing. When you meet Zoe uh, and Emily, you can say that and mean it. And I will. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. That's right. And I will. In fact, if they want to come on the cinephiles, <laughs> I'd love to. Um, there's something about Sam Shepard that is just captivating in this film. Yeah, his well, silent power, Western rustic man, you know, like man's man power yeah. is like undeniable. Yeah, there's there's the Sam Shepard playwright, and then there's the Sam Shepard actor or person. And for me, this is Sam Shepard, the person, right? I can't, yeah. I can't differentiate it from, from anything else. He's, yeah. And he's almost never in these situations where he's the submissive one in a dominant submissive relationship. It's always him kind of doing this kind of man's man part. And what's all, I think, I don't think we can ignore Barbara Hershey as well. Barbara Hershey gives as good as she gets in this movie. And we She's see great. this is on the heels of the natural. Right. So we see her coming into this very, this power as a leading woman, but not a leading woman that needs to talk a lot, not a leading woman. She's sexy as powerful as Sam is. She's as powerful as Sam yep. is in that bar and it's perfect casting as well because she brings it as well as strongly. She says yeah. to him, you know, you're never going to catch me. You ain't yeah. going to catch me out there, you know? And it's great to see that race in the horse, you know, all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, they write. And well, at first we don't know what their relationship yeah, is. Yeah, we don't. We don't know they're married and so he chases after her, mm-hmm. rides out and we're like, oh, this is fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a, such a weird movie trope though, right? It, see it in movies and TV where yeah. like the two people start talking at a bar mm-hmm. and then you find out that they're like role playing and they 
they're really married. I'm like, does that ever happen in real life? <laughs> I'm sure it I, does. I mean, I guess so, but yeah. I've never done it. Well, it's you weird. have that. You have that woman who was, who was about to stop uh, Jaeger or Sancho, right, right, right? right. And, and the bartender goes, no. "Forget it, honey. That's his wife." Yeah. Boom. Well, there's this Game great over. moment in the bar too that we have to talk about. Yeah. That same girl who says, "Hey, Pancho." Mm. I was looking at the pictures on your wall, and I was wondering how come a fancy pilot like Slick over there doesn't have his picture up there. What do you have to do to get your picture up there anyway? You have to die, sweetie. That's rough. Yep. Um, and that bartender, and there's that's a lot Kim of Stanley. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. street card named yeah. Desire. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he plays Brando's wife. Um, and uh, Sam's riding off, charging along on his horse after Barbara Hershey, and what happens? Gets knocked right off that horse. Mm. Um, and so the so Sam Shepard's been or Chuck Yeager we should say has been knocked off the horse. He's broken some ribs. Mm. Is that going to stop him from flying the world's most dangerous plane and try to break the sound barrier? No, yeah. no, sir. It is not. <laughs> There's a special kind of macho-ness of Chuck Yeager's character in this film. It's yeah. crazy. Just the legendary aspect to it. It's already you're strapping on a rocket and trying to go through something that nobody's ever done and half the people at least half the people think you're gonna die doing it and then he decides to do it with two broken ribs too it's like (laughs) you can't get more manly than that it's ridiculous it's legendary one thing we should say and this is true throughout the film there's some exaggeration here because (laughs) this wasn't his first time flying the x1 they've been working on it for like 93 days i think he'd been up many many times he'd been up many times um but he still needed his buddy to give him a broom handle to close down the you know, the hatch. Yeah. And there's this great moment of, got any Beemans? Yeah, that's a great <laughs> running gag. It's a great gag. And the way that it is filmed, when he, this first test flight of the X-1 to break the sound barrier, it's gorgeous. Yeah, that boom sound is yeah always something I remember. Yeah, but also the fact that it they, they do such a good job of making you feel the speed by, yeah. by completely ignoring the direction that the plane is flying. Sometimes yeah. it's going left, right. Sometimes it's coming right back at you. Yeah. Sometimes like it's all over the place, and you just get unsettled, and you but you feel the you feel the motion definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Philip Kaufman was not interested in realism. He was interested in something else, and he got this guy uh, Jordan Belson, who's an abstract artist, to mm-hmm. do these filming of the the way the sky is curving and bending, and that's not anything that anyone's ever seen. Right, and it gives you the sense of this demon and this danger and this going into this. Surreal space. It is amazing. Yeah, it's awesome. And the special effects guy said they they were asking Jordan uh, Belson, Jordan, Jordan Belson, how he did it, and he wouldn't tell him. <laughs> no. no, it's crazy stuff. And 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 of course we have the big sonic boom, and everyone thinks he's dead. Yeah, he's not dead. Yeah, he comes out, he lands, and we have that great Bill Conti score. The score of this movie is fantastic. It's yeah, Academy yeah. Award winning. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny. I was thinking about us it, like nothing beats the Rocky theme, but I think this is a better score. Well, it's Conti. Yeah, and it does. And Chardoff and Winkler, who also produced yep, Rocky, yeah. it makes yep. sense. All this makes yep. sense because and he he, just... he had like three weeks. He came in super late oh, on really? this, and oh, really? and he was excited to do it because he wanted to prove that he wasn't like a pop writer. Right. He said, right. and uh, just completely under the gun and turned it out amazingly yeah the score is great, the, the score is great. and yeah. it's one of those that it's one of those where you're in some waiting room or you're like at disneyland or something and you hear it, you're like what is that one which one is that <laughs> yeah it is yeah. such a great score yeah. um 
And it was one of the things I remembered, I, I think this is in the book, is that when you hear that Jaeger's voice in that accent and that drawl haunted pilots for the next 30 years. Oh, yeah. Everyone just talked like that. That's pretty wow. much how, how the book starts out is him just talking about how every pilot has that same casual, relaxed drawl. And, and it all came from Jaeger. Huh. Yeah. Wow. Uh, we cut to 1953, and uh, Dennis Quaid. <laughs> I love him so much in this movie. Come on, Trudy. Here's the best pilot you ever saw. Huh? Here's the best pilot you ever saw. <laughs> You're looking at it, baby. He, I, his charisma is so off the charts in this film. Yeah. And that smile is a good eight millimeters wider than it <laughs> oh, should yeah. be yeah. on a human. Yeah. Uh, he is just oozing charisma. And such, and it's funny because I think we go through a lot of iconic American male characters. We've mm -hmm. just seen the cowboy. And now we have like the, the football star prom king. Yeah. You yep. know what I mean? Yeah. Like the, 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 the hot the, dog. The hot dog, <laughs> yeah. most arrogant guy at, at, in the high school. Yeah. yeah, and smirking his way through life. Yeah, and there are so many good characters in here, but I, yeah. I really feel like like Jaeger and and Cooper, the, you know, Sam Shepard and Dennis Quaid's characters. I feel like they told the story really well because I feel like uh, Cooper is the next one, or you mm. know, he wants to be the next right. one, and, right. and 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 so they, it's centered on him a little bit, and it, and it has a really nice ending, but it, it's sort of the generational thing between those two yeah. to me when I watch. Well, it. that's what. For, that's how Cooper sees it. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. Jaeger doesn't see Cooper no, at no. all. No, <laughs> no, that's true. There's no interest in him at all. <laughs> and, and, and one quick thing is that that uh, apparently uh, he, uh, Dennis Quaid turned down a movie in order to do this film. Yes. Wow, yes, what he did. That? The Outsiders. Oh, yes. he turned down Coppola. Wow. To do the right stuff. Yeah. Do you know, one of the other things is that Rick Springfield turned down a role in this movie to do Hard to Hold. Oh, and my he said, God. He said it is something that haunts him still to this day. <laughs> who, what was he, he going to play? I don't know, but he was going to be in it. Wow. Jeff Goldblum. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. maybe. Who knows? Um, uh, and, of course, we meet Pamela Reed, his wife. and yeah. She's so good in this. <laughs> and it's just this great moment of him saying, did I ever let you down? <laughs> Cut to... <laughs> We're in the house. There's brown water coming out of the faucet. Yeah. That's a That's perfect great, transition. great yeah. movie cut. And there's a plane crash and her sudden fear that is this time it's him, which it's yeah. not. Right. And we go back to the uh, the bar, which is called Poncho's Happy Bottom Rotting Club. Yes. Uh, which is real was a real place. Yes. Which no longer exists. Yeah, burnt down. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there we see uh, another of our great astronauts, Fred Ward. <sighs> yes. Can we take a moment for Fred Ward? Uh, absolutely. One of the forgotten guys who was fantastic. Fred Ward. Never not been good. Well, right, exactly. Tremors, Remo Williams, <laughs> one Remo of my, Williams. I, mean, I love that movie. If you're from a certain time in the 80s. <laughs> all, all of us yeah. are you, in love exactly. Remo Joel Williams. Gray doing yellow face, which is not good. Yeah, I just well, yeah, Remo Williams. Yeah, I mean, you know, Super fun. It's the 80s. <laughs> so, yeah, but like Fred Ward was always great. And this is a difficult part to take on because of what happens later on in the movie. Yeah. You need to have an actor that can you can feel sympathy for and also kind of question at the same time. And I think Fred Ward as Gus Grissom, which is still a mystery that has never been solved because they never found they never found the door. Right, we're going to talk oceans. about that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but either way, you want to cast this correctly, and you want to cast it with a guy. And Fred Ward brings that kind of, for lack of a better term, gravitas to that to that part, and makes you feel both 
how cool like how, he's so different to hot dog right because he yeah. was like right when they meet each other he's like oh uh cooper right yeah. well we have our we have our cowboy we have yeah. our hot dog and now we have our working man we have our yeah. brooding working man yeah. Yeah. yeah it's just a different iconic male a great figure points to um, um again we bring up the pictures on the wall yeah um and at this point it's like 25 minutes 30 minutes into the movie and we haven't really gotten to nasa yet no, no. We're, there's no yeah. astronauts yet that you gotta and there's some movies like this where you gotta you gotta sit back you just gotta buckle in yeah <laughs> john i can't tell you how excited i am about the cinephiles new sponsor an absolutely incredible game marvel strike force now anyone who's listened to the show knows that i've been reading comic books since i was five years old and this is like a comic book fan's dream come true you could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite marvel characters i mean everyone is there the punisher vision black panther cap or even my favorite marvel character of all time daredevil your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yes, yeah, Stephen, as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, Thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. $5,000. That's the average amount of money people in the U.S. are now spending on gas in a year. Five grand. That's crazy. If you drive, you have to download Upside, the free app that gives you cash back every time you get gas. That's right. You can earn real cash back with Upside just by buying the gas you're already buying. You can literally start earning cash back today. I use Upside every time I fill up, and I've already made around two, $300. You're putting gas in your car anyway. Why not get real cash back? If you like free money, download Upside. I'm saving the cash I earn from using Upside to help pay for a vacation later this year. Download the free Upside app now to earn cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code GAME to get an extra 25 cents per gallon on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code GAME for a 25 cents per gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code GAME for a 25 cents per gallon bonus. Um, we're at a backyard barbecue. Uh, all the wives are talking about fear and sharing what it's like. And this is something, and I remember this even stronger from the book, is the wives' stories are really oh, powerful. Yeah. And and I, I actually think they did a really good job on the movie of portraying that, but, you know, both from uh, Barbara Hershey and, and uh, Pamela Reed and, and Veronica Cartwright. Veronica Cartwright. So good. Yeah. Um, Kathy Baker later. But yeah, I, I mean, that, that it's I think that's a strong theme that runs throughout this movie. And I, and, and you can't really just tell the stories about of the guys because you have to tell how it affects the, their whole family well the mystical aspect comes in here too steve and dave like this whole they're having conversation and veronica cartwright like cusses and they giggle like women might have done in the 50s or 60s at that time and then you have this weird moment between pamela reed and dennis quaid when he's like do you want a hot dog and the whole time she's been kind of whispering this you don't know if she's actually saying it out loud yeah, yeah. and then she says 
I'm gonna leave you. Yeah. And then yeah. backs away through the yep. through the window. Yeah. And you're just like, what the hell kind of movie is this? What are we talking about yep. here? So I find that interesting at the like the just the uh, just I don't know just the contradiction of what's happening there. You know. Well, and the, the discussion of what it's like to be married to one of yeah. these guys. Yeah. And what's the phrase they use? He kept a steady. Uh, maintain an even strain. Yeah. Maintain an even strain. Can you define what that term means? <laughs> that was just that was a term that one of the guys used. I want to say it was Wally Sharaw, but that's one of the mm-hmm. things they pulled straight from the book, and that was that was a, a, a phrase that one of the guys came up with, and it and it's it's just about being cool all the time, and you know, f- like finding a way to to an acceptable way to to vent your stress, and just always being unflappable. I wish right. I had that. That's what part of why she's leaving him. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. is that he is not, she says, I'm going to leave him. And if he said, no, please, I need you. Maybe she'd stay. Yeah. But he maintained an even strain. Yeah. That's yeah. A great point. We're back at the honky tonk. And now the, 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 the word is start. We're starting to understand this idea of accomplishment leads to money. And the phrase they use over and over again is no bucks, no buck Rogers. Right. Yeah. Is that we need the money in order to do the stuff. Uh, so what does Jaeger do? He's going to go out and do another flight. Again, this is just an amazing sequence. Yeah. Um, the technology has obviously been upgraded. <laughs> yes. He has a real helmet on he this He has time. an actual <laughs> helmet. Um, and again, we go up with the other guy. Again, he asks for the demons. He's going to push that envelope. He's going to see where that old demon lives. And then he spins out. God! really fucking scary yeah absolutely oh i was gonna say and the 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 noises the sound i mean it's got an oscar for sound design too i think Mm -hmm. sound effects and there's you can hear like a screaming Mm -hmm. uh, in the thing it it turns out it was like they used pig noises (laughs) when they were doing the sound effects but it's, it's terrifying yeah yeah and 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 both in the editing and the way they shot it and sam shepherd's performance they do a great job of making you disoriented, making you scared, Mm -hmm. and seeing him get back control. And even when he gets back control of the plane, he doesn't speak. He's not sure he can land it. It takes his brain a while to kind of get settled. I'll find bad here. I'm uh, I'm turning 25,000 over to that span. I don't know if I can make it back to base or not. I think it must the best of canopy with my head. I don't know. <laughs> I'm getting okay now. <laughs> well, we should chase that old demon this time, huh, Jack? <laughs> He's just Mr. Cool again. He's Mr. Cool again. <laughs> Unfortunately, everything's going to change because it's 1957. And Sputnik goes up. And we see people running down. We see Jeff Goldblum running down the hall. Young Jeff Goldblum yeah. with those spindly legs of his running down the hallway, <laughs> throwing that door open. And now our spiritual slow paced drama. Yeah. Takes a com- completely, yeah. Yeah. completely yeah. different tone because we have Jeff Goldroom and Harry Shearer, yeah. yeah, who are hilarious in this mm. film. Yeah, it's it's like stepping into a completely different movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Uh, you even have Dwight Eisenhower in the room for God's sake. Yeah, we have Dwight Eisenhower and LBJ, mm-hmm. and I love little details like they can't get the slide projector to work, and they got it, they've forgotten to plug it in. Yeah, and there's this whole thing of them talking about starting the space race, and 
and Jeff Goldblum and Harry Shearer are presenting who they think should be the astronauts. <laughs> it's circus performers yeah. and death it's defiers. Ridic- it's ridiculous. Yeah. You're like, you've been watching this movie, like you said, like a Western, tough guy, fighter pilot, so full of adrenaline and machismo. And then all of a sudden you got like this goofy vaudevillian comedy duo. It's, I mean, I love it, but it's yeah. so weird. <laughs> it's, it's, it's weird that this movie can contain these different styles. Well, yeah. it juxtaposes this, the man thing, right? Man, old school, manly, manly thing, to these two nerdy yeah, there you go. comedy guys. It's the nerdy, yeah. th- intelligent guys. Sometimes That's they, a don't, great point. they yeah. don't normally think uh, to go to the people who are, you know, going to be the men playing these parts. They think, oh, you got right. he's got to be these people. This is all I see. I don't know pilots. I don't know this. I know death defiers. I go to the circus. I see this. And, and in fact, you need someone you need something stronger right you know? well and i think too it's the it having them separates the pilots out even more exactly these totally different heroic types exactly here are real men and then here's normal men. Like, which is interesting about the film i wonder if you guys can answer this question like w- we don't get a lot of this anymore like these kind of men we don't see them in films no, much that's anymore. what i'm saying and i, I wonder I, if we've lost that in exchange for being more in touch with our emotions more in touch with more willing to talk about it in I mean, movies this is the price we've paid that we don't see these kind of silent quiet Strong types anymore. I mean, what, did, what did Sam Shepard's father teach him? Yeah, show no emotions. Right. Yeah, I wish my dad you know? had told me that. Well, <laughs> people I like don't know. that. It's problematic. People like that. And of course, as they're putting out this whole list of acrobats and stuntmen and all this thing, Ike says, "I want test pilots," and that leads them out to Edwards Air Force Base. Yeah. And we get this great little jacket gag, <laughs> which they did impri- improvise on the set. And yeah. when they were on the set, they kept going. You really want us to do this? It's like okay, and you give Jeff Goldblum and Harry Shearer a chance yeah. to improvise. They're going to bring the they're going to bring the funny, and they yeah. did. Mm-hmm. Um, and then because we were in a different movie before, we went into this weird comedy movie, and now our comedy movie watch, walks into <laughs> the bar with our test pilots, and it is it's it's great. It works great, and their unmanliness is exposed <laughs> yeah. right away yeah. visually. It's immediate derision from, yeah. the, from the pilots, yeah. right? Even Jaeger who. Makes a little comment under his breath about it, and and then Goldblum confronts him. Goldblum yeah. says, "Like, what did you say? Yeah, repeat right. what you said. I don't get it. What that means? What is it with lab rabbits? What's that supposed to mean? Well, it just means that you boys don't need no honest to god pilots. You know what you ought to get is a little old lab rabbit to curl up inside your damn capsule. You know, with his heart going pitter patter, and wire up the kazoo. <laughs> <laughs> I don't hold with it." So he calls him out a little bit. So you have a little back and forth between them. And then, you yeah. know, they say they're looking for pilots. And then they say, Gold Bloom's a little for... outmatched in that. Yeah, well, yeah, it's true, true. He's got height, but that's but probably he is, it. Yeah, right. But he is forcing Jaeger to stop being, you know, talking under his breath and sure. be like, say what you yep. say, say what you mean, you know. And he's saying, you, you're looking for lab rats. You're not looking. That's, that's, an, that's a window into how these people probably viewed the idea of being astronauts at that time right. or being, being pilots in the space program. Because it was like, no, piloting a plane is something. Having everyone else control while you sit in a metal box shot into the moon or shot into this into space is not the same as piloting. What's the phrase, yeah. Dave? Uh, spam in a can. Spam, spam in a, a can. can. <laughs> um, and I'm and they immediately reject Jaeger because he doesn't have a college education. Yeah, which my is memory, crazy. And my memory is it's also I think he's also too tall. He might be. I'm not sure. Yeah, you had to be uh, under five eleven. Oh, yeah. but the, the the one of the great things that I wanted to point out about that scene is when they're talking about Jaeger and why he's not a good candidate. 
the old dude who works at the place comes up behind yeah. him. That's Chuck Yeager. That is right. That's the real Chuck Yeager, who was a, a, a consultant on the on the film and and was there every day. And all the cast, were, you know, were uh, completely amazed by him. And then we cut to my name, oh. Jose Jimenez. <laughs> how do you how do you feel about this, John? Well, listen, I um, when I saw it, I initially was like, okay, it's the eighties. I guess I didn't catch it the first few times I watched it, but then the film takes care of that, which yeah. I really forgot. I, I would, you know, and so that's why I excuse it because the film takes yes, care of it. Absolutely. And you think initially it is kind of the the com- the comedy of it is funny, right? What he's doing uh, when he says about the crash, I'm, I I hope not. You yeah. know, these are funny jokes. Yeah. he's doing the accent, and I don't know if that was I don't know that bit, so I don't know if that's a Latino performer. It's, it's not. not. Oh, it's not. It's a white performer yeah. doing a Latino and he's, thing. He's supposed to be Bolivian, by the way. Oh, what? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> get out of here. I just had to put that in there. Oh for my you. god, I didn't know that. For yeah. those you don't know, my parents were Bolivian, so this is interesting okay so i didn't know that but like when i'm watching it i'm just i'm i'm uncomfortable and then it uh it, it you know you have scott glenn or uh, alan shepherd ma- yeah, uh, making yeah. fun of it in the plane and then uh yeah, but jeff goldblum tells him to turn it off now i don't think he turns it off because it's offensive racism wise it's offensive because it's making fun of the space program right. which they're representative of but then later on uh alan shepherd gets his due when he he's holding that little holding that rubber thing and, yeah. and gonzalez or sanchez i forget the guy's name has to take him up to the second floor but yeah. the film does undercut it a little bit because they do voice over that guy who is Gonzalez yeah, which is or weird. Sanchez? Yeah. It's not his actual voice, and so yeah. you know that bothered me a little because I don't think they got a Latino guy to voice it over. No. So, well, yeah, and they probably, probably didn't like his voice. They probably yeah. didn't. Yeah. They probably wanted yeah. that deep, booming, yeah. scary, yeah. intimidating voice. And you so, by hear. the way, for our listeners out there, if you've heard some strange beeping, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's because we're having power outages here, and the power is turning on and off, and every time it does, my right. oven beeps. <laughs> so, apologize for that. We're also it's Roca just did some very impressive. Continuing to talk <laughs> while the lights went on and off like four times. I'm ready to be an astronaut. Professional. Yeah. Yes, right. I'm I ready to be an ready astronaut. Be an Throw astronaut. me in there. Throw the red lights on. Do all that kind of stuff. And, I can handle it. after watching Jose Jimenez, they <laughs> yeah. switch channels. And who do they see on some sort of Name That Toonie show but John Glenn, yeah. Ed Harris. Oh, my God. Is amazing casting. Well, perfect casting for John Glenn. I mean, I'm, I'm from Ohio, so I know John Glenn. <laughs> I, and I had not seen Ed Harris before this movie, or not to my knowledge. No, and no. I, he showed up on screen, and I was like, what is going on? This guy looks exactly like John Glenn. Right. Well, and the thing we should say is, these are all basically unknowns. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Den, you know, the, none of these are stars. Dennis, uh, yeah. Dennis Quaid, Ed Harris, Fred Ward. These are the people we have so, so far. Yeah. They're not stars. Yeah. No, no. They f- this movie found a whole bunch of f- future movie stars. Yeah, and if you're a massive fan of films, you see character actors that you've seen for three decades. Oh, sure. All through, the peppered all through this yeah. film as yeah. they've gotten older, including Herschel from... Uh, the Walking Dead, who is Sam Shepard's friend there. Oh. That's him. That's the actor oh, that's who plays who Herschel is. from oh. The Walking Dead. Yep. I, I didn't yeah. even realize that. Yeah. So now we've got our cowboy, our hot dog, our working man, and now we've got the straight arrow. Yeah. You yeah. know, yep. he's another icon of American manliness. And he is as straight as it can be. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, now we're going to go off. We have to get. You mentioned that Scott Glenn's character, uh, mm-hmm. Alan Shepard, loves making doing the Jose Jimenez joke. Yep. And we, and he, that's what he's doing as he's flying in his Navy fighter to land on an aircraft carrier. Who's waiting for him in the aircraft carrier? <laughs> but two very nauseous Jeff Goldblum <laughs> and Harry Shearer. 
And, and this exchange is interesting too because he's. They said they're here to see if you want to be an astronaut. He says, "I hope not." To make the mm-hmm. use of the joke, so this is the way they viewed being an astronaut. Yeah. These pilots. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And now we've added our next iconic guy, mm-hmm. which is kind of the the crack up, the jokester. Yeah. You know. Yeah. In Alan Shepard. Um, and, and again, here's Scott Glenn. Here is another future movie star. Yeah. And and you know another manly guy. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, we talked about. Um, like we did when we did the Dirty Dozen, we talked about like the manly testosterone movie. And we've talked, we haven't done the movie yet. At some point, I think we will do Predator. Yeah. Another man, and this is another version of it. We're going to yeah. put together yeah. a lot of machismo <laughs> and they're going to compete. It was big in the 80s. Being macho was big in the 80s. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and now it's time to get our astronauts and we've got to give them some medical tests. Hello, Armageddon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. This sequence is hilarious. How much of this, like when you were doing your tests, Dave, like how much of this is similar to what, like obviously it's oh. much, much later, but like, was yeah, this no. stuff they talked about or that you would No, experience? no, I, I, just, I just had to do like a, a very rigorous physical and like okay. a physical exertion test. And I did like a crazy eye exam because pilots have to have really good eye exams. And mm. I had no, I, I did stuff that I didn't even know you could do with your eyes. <laughs> but um, uh, I did, I did find out, uh, Steve, you probably know this, that they, they shot all this stuff first. When they were doing right. the medical testing, and the guys were really sort of competing against each other to do all these, you know, things, blow up the 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 uh, bubble, the, uh, yeah, the ping ball. pong ball. The ball must be maintained in the position between these two lines. You may begin now. The record is ninety-one seconds. And and the director just really encouraged that, and that was like sort of so right from the get-go. They were it was exactly like their characters, where they're just sort of everybody jockeying for position. Right. Dennis Quaid claims that he won. Yes. yes. Yeah, and from what I understand, Cooper actually did win in real life because oh, he was the he? only non-smoker of them all, so he oh, could, really he could maintain more air in his lungs than the oh, other. Oh, I didn't he, know that one. He, he was the non-smoker, but he, he I, I think oh. it, I think it happened like it really oh, did really? in the movie, in the, where okay. he was such a hot dog that he just wanted to make sure he broke the record. Uh. And then didn't even notice that that uh, Carpenter and and uh, yeah, because yeah, Carpenter was did a lot of uh, scuba diving and stuff, and ah, I think he was really okay. good at uh, holding his breath. What's the actor that plays Carpenter? I don't know. There you just go. drew a blank on it. Well, that does that makes sense because he isn't he doesn't stand out as much as nope. these other guys. As these yeah, other guys. Car- Carpenter and and uh, and um, uh, not Wally Schraub, but uh, uh, Deke. I, Deke. I don't know Deke the guy who does Blakely Deke. Or Deke, Deke. Yeah. yeah, Deke Slayton. Is that the one who Lance Henriksen played? Lance, Lance Henriksen plays. No, he played he played Wally Schraub. Oh, Wally Schraub. Okay. Oh. And yeah, Lance Henriksen's in this movie and has like three lines. <laughs> it, it, it just is this weird. <laughs> and it's funny because I think when you saw it the first time, yeah. when we didn't know Lance Henriksen in, it was, it was just sure. not really noticeable. Of course. But now it's like Lance Henriksen yeah, over there. Right. It's crazy. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. We have a bunch of fun tests. We have this weird one where they put like a. a metal and run shocks through Alan Shepard's arm, oh, yeah. which, by the way, I've had that done to me. Really? Yeah, when I had uh, some nerve problems, I was kind of numbness in my fingers. They're testing out mm-hmm. basically the nerve connections, and they're making my fingers jump, and it's not... It's super weird. It's yeah, really I had some weird. nerve stuff, too. <laughs> it's really weird. And, and, and this one's very much Armageddon. We yes. have uh, Gordo, Dennis Quaid, and this other guy in the uncomfortable room <laughs> with weird noises, with... The nurse with the great glasses. Oh, gosh, she's great. Looking through yeah, the window. I got to just do a little aside about Nurse Merch or whatever. Her yeah, name is. Merch. She was actually uh, a comedian and musician. She was in the Tubes, the band. That what? Did. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. The one who's she's, she's a beauty? Yes, oh, exactly. Wow. And a, just a couple years after this movie, she was doing 
uh, traffic for uh, AM radio in New York, and their helicopter went down in the middle of the traffic report, and oh she God. friggin' died on the air. What? Oh my yeah. God. Like, crashed wow. into the Hudson River. Wow. Like, just three years after this movie. So what a shame. It's super weird, wow. but I had to bring it up just because it was super weird. Wow. Damn. I don't know how quite to go on. I know. I'm sorry. Because I the next thing everything. I have to talk about is the sperm test. Uh, yeah, well. She's really funny in this movie. She's really <laughs> funny in the sperm test moment. And Dennis Quaid, and e- e- they are even competitive in the sperm test. Yep. Yes. Yep. With competitive humming of uh, Wild Blue <laughs> Yonder and yes. the Marine Corps song. It's, yeah. So just knock it off because I'm trying to concentrate in here. Even down to at the end of the sperm test, a little toe curl. Yes, <laughs> that's good. That's good acting. <laughs> One thing they have to do though, because they're not just doing a medical test, is they need to see that these are upstanding American family men, and to right. prove that they're upstanding American family men, got to meet the wives. Yeah. Right? One little problem with that. <laughs> Gordo's wife, Pamela Reed, she skipped. Yeah. You know? He's got to get her back. Uh, and he uses the exact same <laughs> kind of sales pitch he used before. We play our cards right, honey. We go all the way to the top. We? You mean you? I mean we. We're a team. Ever let you down before? Yeah. Yeah. Dirty. Who's the best pilot you ever saw? And it works. Yeah, it's a great and it's a great scene when you put it up against the other scene when you first see them in the car. Yeah. This is yeah. a nice difference. There's no kids in the back. Yeah. She's wearing a darker dress, so there's. It's great the way it's filmed and shot, and the way it looks. It's he's got to work harder to win her back. Yeah, it's yeah. great. But it also it also shows her power too, because yes. he's he's the one who has no power. He's sitting out in the hall and right. listening to them laugh inside oh, the office. So brilliant, and you know what they're laughing about. <laughs> and she comes out and she's like, "Well, you're all set. I told her you were stable, well adjusted, attentive, persevering. I lied. Bad girl. Yeah. And he." With that big smile on his face, like, thanks. Thanks. That's all I wanted. <laughs> yeah. Because he knows it's a lie. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, um, that's the great thing about watching Dennis Quaid in this film is that he's aware of his bullshit. Yeah. yeah. He enjoys his bullshit. <laughs> um, and he believes in it also. Yeah. Uh, and then the last test that we alluded to before, which is really funny, is this enema test. <laughs> and this conversation with Gonzalez is really great. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and in the end, Gonzalez is nice to him. I mean, yeah. he, he shuts him down. Alan Shepard knows that he's been racist and a bad person. He's clearly apologetic, yeah. not to mention bent over and holding his butt cheeks <laughs> together. <laughs> and Gonzalez says, I think you're going to be an astronaut. Cut to the presentation of the Mercury 7. After a long and unprecedented series of evaluations, which told our medical scientists of their superb adaptability. To their upcoming flight. I love this press conference. What do you love about it? It's there's so many things. Like just visually, it's great because when they announce the, the announcer guy has that great voice. It is my pleasure to introduce to you seven Americans, gentlemen all. Like I, I get excited watching this thing. <laughs> I don't know why, but like he announces them, and I'm there with the crowd. Virgil I Gus Grissom. 
they they all stand up and then they cut back to their wives. The wives are in these bright, very summery colors. Yep. So they seem like these almost virginal type of things. And so- but then also they ju- they juxtapose that again with these guys are being celebrated and then they cut to Chuck Yeager all by himself. Yep. Nobody knows. I, they didn't. They didn't uh, declassify the fact that Chuck Yeager broke the sound barrier for years after. Mm-hmm. So I don't know when this came, if people knew or not. But it's like he, here's well, the knew, guy who's they knew really that the sound barrier had been broken. I don't know yeah. if they knew the name Chuck Yeager. Yeah, yeah. But here's the guy who's really done stuff, yeah. and he's all alone. Nobody applauding for him, just listening far away. And then here's these guys who you know they they're very clear later on who haven't done anything yet who right. are being. Well, heralded well two things two things one is we should say um gordo and uh fred ward and gus grissom they were test pilots yeah, yeah. alan shepherd is flying in the military no yes they, know, they've they, done they've stuff. done things right. but what they're being celebrated for they haven't done and this is this thing that this movie establishes is the contrast between the reality of heroism and the importance of maintaining the myth mm-hmm. of american heroism mm-hmm. and what's happening in this press conference is the construction of a myth which is really to inspire other people and deal with the Soviets and look out into the world and not reality. And what's happening with Chuck Yeager is this is the real guy doing the real thing. And what do we value here? You know, and that's, Interesting. Well, you have that scene later, a little bit later, with that guy. I don't know who that guy is. Who's like, you know, I'm gonna. You guys have been making how much? I'm gonna pay you five hundred thousand dollars over seven years, or split seven ways over three years. Yeah. And I'm gonna tell you your stories, and you're right. gonna have these. So it's a whole PR ploy. You know, all of it manipulated to look a certain way, like you said, to inspire. But there are real people who have to pay the price for these stories, and we see that play out as the movie progresses. Well, and this is this thing. We'll talk about this more, I think. But I, I believe in the truth, and I care about mm-hmm. the truth, and I don't like the idea of just putting lies out there. But I also believe that myths are powerful things for helping us do good things in the world. Yep. Well, let me change the way I say that. Myths are powerful things mm-hmm. for doing good or bad in the world, mm-hmm. and that using them to inspire little kids to want to be astronauts or scientists or to love their country, or to make sacrifices for science and exploration and for the, their fellow countrymen, that's great. Yeah. And we need those myths. And they're also not true. Yeah. Right. And I don't know how to reckon with it, but I was thinking about it a lot while watching this film. Well, there's a, there's a, there is a great thing in the book. I'll try not to talk about the book too much, but uh, Wolf talks about the idea of single combat. That the reason mm. these guys were yeah. heralded so much from the get-go is that the, they became, you know, it used to be that that uh, that wars were decided or at least uh, prefaced by the best guy from each side fighting, and then and you know sometimes that decided the whole thing, but yeah. it, it was a, it was a common thing, and you would get all of the all of the perks of of being the, the single combat guy beforehand because you were probably going to die or right. might might die right. so it was like we held these guys up these are our combatants against communism against mm-hmm. the soviets and we're going to we know that they're going to get up they're going to go up there and fight for us and so we're giving them everything ahead of time to show them how much they mean to us that they're doing this and so it's in that way it's not false but uh, i i totally i totally understand what you're saying uh, about myths and and you know who did what it's it's just a matter of uh i don't know it was, it was just a really interesting theme when when i read it in the book well i think you can romanticize the test pilot just as you can romanticize the great baseball hitter or the great boxer right but you can't romanticize trench warfare 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. A mass of people charging against machine gun fire. Mm-hmm. It's not romantic. Yeah. And that doesn't inspire me to go want to do great things. Right. But Jaeger does. Yeah. yeah. And these astronauts do. Um, one more thing about it is that the way the reporters sweep into this press conference mm. is hilarious. Holy shit. And they, they, they exist as a strange chorus throughout the film. And they are, in fact, a Commedia dell'arte troupe called the Bologna Brothers. Oh. I, was, I was amazed to, to discover that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I found that. And they're um, from San Francisco, which yeah. where most of the film was shot. And I think I saw them as a kid. Oh, oh wow. really? Yeah. And they're just like an insane, silly, <laughs> half yeah. circus, half comedia troupe. And I just just to go with that, the sound design is when they show up, the all the chittering, and you know that you associate with cameras and pictures. And every time they're around, you just hear that noise. And and it's such a great a great key as as the movie goes on. Well, and there's this element of like the spiritual element and the adventure element and the yeah. dramatic element and the Jeff Goldblum, Harry Shearer, yeah. Committee to Larte Reporter stuff. Yeah. And you have that exchange in that press conference between Grissom and, and uh, is it Cooper? Who, Cooper, who, Cooper. Who, yeah. Quaid plays? Mm-hmm. Where, you know, Grissom is, as the blue collar guy, is uncomfortable with this attention. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's he, physically, as an actor, he's in the submissive position, and Cooper's telling him, just smile and enjoy yep. it. And we, we, we're, we're giving him what they want. We're giving him what they want, you know? And we. One more thing about the Bologna brothers, because I like the story, yeah. is yeah. that Pamela Reed decided while they're shooting to throw a big party for everyone in the cast. And yeah. it's a big pool party. I think they're at a hotel. They're hanging out. There's food. There's drinks. And all of a sudden, over the hill marches all of the Bologna brothers on stilts, and they walk right <laughs> into the party and on stilts walk right into the pool yeah that's amazing (laughs) like yes these seem like fun people to hang out with i Um, do i do want to point out one more thing there uh glenn's wife john glenn uh uh she looked so familiar that i had to go look her up to see what else she'd done it's uh caleb deschanel's wife yeah Oh, so it's Emily's mom. mom. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. And, and in this, the, the person that really emerges at the press conference is John Glenn. Yeah. And you see why he became a politician and a yeah. senator is that he has that thing. When I think of Orville and Wilbur Wright standing on a hill at Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, tossing a coin in the air to see which one would take the first airplane flight, and then I think of us here today. I just thank God I live in a country where the best and the finest in a man can be brought out. And of course, Gordo can't let that go without, well, if you're going to say some great inspirational stuff, I can do that too. And it, and it lays the groundwork for this conflict that we're going to see come to a head in the in the locker room, for lack of a better term, between John Glenn and the other people and yep. the other yeah. astronauts. This idea of your morality versus our morality. So well, because... That's really John Glenn's morality. Exactly. It isn't, and maybe Scott Carpenter's too, but it isn't for any of the other ones. (laughs) They have a whole other thing. Yeah. And the the press conference ends with, which one of you is going to be the first person in space? They all raise their hand. Yeah. Yeah. And you see that transition too when they come out. Most of them are uncomfortable. This yes. is an aspect of of the job that they were not prepared for. Right. And but by the end of it, they're soaking up the adulation, the attention. Yeah. Definitely yeah. seems like a pretty pretty fun to be an astronaut. <laughs> when you get a lot of attention, the fall is even is public. You know. Yeah. So there's that uncomfortable nature. Um, the the wives are all meeting, and they kind of think Mrs. Glenn is kind of snobby. 
And then we go alone with the Glens, and we find out she has a severe stutter. Mm. And um, but what do you think about that scene, Steve? Because he's coming up with reasons not to be with her, not to be around her, not to have her come. You know, she says, like, mm. what about afterwards? Couldn't we hang out? He goes, no, I got to go running on the beach. I'm trying to break this record. But like, it kind of gives you this weird idea that like he liked having this wife who was a dutiful wife and he could in a way kind of control the situation so that he would yeah, look maybe. like the hero all the time and it's an interesting like expose on john glenn a little bit you know it's subtle it's not over no, yeah but it's subtle. I, I was gonna say that i find i find ed harris's performance amazing because in, in, in all his ensuing work he has a sort of darkness mm-hmm and you know, like Scott Glenn has always had that too. Ever right. since, you know, Urban Cowboy, he's like Scott Glenn's always a little bit scary and yeah. dark and mean, and he has that in this movie. Uh, Ed Harris is the most wholesome person I've ever seen. He like radiates like apple pie sunbeams out of his face, yeah. and like I've never seen him do that in any other movie. It's uh, yeah. pretty amazing. Yeah. yeah, my my feeling about what you're saying is that it's that he is obsessed with John Glenn. Yes, you know. That, Ed, that he is this person who is driven to be this particular thing, mm-hmm. and his wife, is as an accessory to that, is great. Mm-hmm. And he definitely cares about her. There's no question yeah, about that. Absolutely. But, but it's all in service of John Glenn. Yeah. yeah, you yeah. Know? And he betrays that in the press conference when he says, I think we were all put on this earth with a special type of gift yeah. to do, un- unpack this box of yeah. our lives. Yeah, it's, well, it's part, of, part of the right stuff is ego. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta have, and you gotta have it. Yeah, yeah. you know, if if, if you know, if you don't believe in yourself, you're not going to go fly something that's probably going to kill you. Right. <laughs> we we see a montage of, you know, it's time to start testing out some rockets. Mm. They work perfectly, every single one. <laughs> yes, <laughs> even the top pops off perfectly at every single one. <laughs> Do you remember? And it just got used all the time. The weird montage of trying to fly. You know, oh where, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where it was oh, like the, yeah. the eight wing yes, thing that absolutely. collapsed, and then and the, the yeah. springy, springy the thing, yeah. <laughs> the one that goes yeah. right off the cliff. Yep, yep. We yep. should find that on YouTube and link to it. <laughs> I'm surprised that's not in this movie. When it crashes it into be. the barn. Um, <laughs> we end up over at uh, uh, the beach, and we're in in a bar, and girls seem really, really interested in them. Yeah, of and course. this is what I think you were alluding to: is John Glenn goes. You know, we got to we have to have our moral. After that night, yeah, he confronts yeah. them out in the yeah. lock because he yeah. thinks they're not taking it seriously enough. And and you know, this happens in any group of people that are brought together. They don't right. choose to be together. They were brought together. There's going to be conflict at times, especially with men. There's always that dick measuring contest sure. or pissing contest that occurs with men, oh, especially yeah. men like this. Well, yeah, yeah, you know? the, yeah. These guys all are trying to get the first spot up because they yeah. know that they know that whoever goes up first is going to be you know the top of the top of the heap. Exactly. Um, so they're competing but they also this scene is so interesting because this is when they start to become a team right you know like you talked about in the dirty dozen this is they're all fighting with each other and then and and then gus intercedes (laughs) and doesn't really say anything but there's this awesome bit where where d comes in is like what gus is saying is this and explains all this stuff (laughs) you've got it all wrong the issue here ain't pussy the issue here is monkey what us we are the monkey what Gus is saying is that we're missing the point. What Gus is saying is that we all heard the rumor that they want to send a monkey up first. Well, none of us wants to think that they're going to send a monkey up to do a man's work. But what Gus is saying is that what they're trying to do to us is send a man up to do a monkey's work. Us, a bunch of college-trained chimpanzees. Fucking A, Bubba. All right, so what Gus is saying is that we got to change things around here. He's saying that we are pilots. And then Cooper comes in, what Gus is saying. What Gus is saying here 
So we got to stick together on this deal. And so everybody decides they know what Gus is saying, and Gus has somehow become the de facto heart of the group without saying anything. Do you think that was what Gus was saying? <laughs> I don't know. I, I, don't I know. want to believe that it is, and that he was sort of some you know, Zen genius <laughs> with a man of few words. That's what I want to believe, yeah. mm-hmm. but I don't, I don't know either. It's such a good scene. Though. But you need that to bring them together. You need yeah. that division so they can sew it and come back together stronger. And what exactly, right. what exactly is Gus saying? Uh, Gus is saying they need to stop squabbling amongst themselves and start trying to exert their power and not, yeah. be, not be the chimps in the spam in a can. They need, right. to, they need to have uh, some uh, urgent, uh, agency in, in their own uh, outcome. Mm-hmm. And so what they do is they confront the engineers and say, we have to have a, we have to have a hatch and we have to have controls and we have to have yeah. a window. And they they exert some real power. Those are Russians, if I'm reading Germans. that. Are Germans. Are they Germans? Yeah, All right, yeah, so, yeah. But the confrontation there is great because they're like... And once again, here we go. Just like when they, when they get confronted with Harry Shearer and Jeff Goldblum, these are now... Uh, scientists or these are now guys who yeah. create these kinds of things and so in their minds all they care about is getting it up there and getting it back but the astronauts have to be like no we want to see where the hell we're going and we want ha- and, and it's so ironic that they have Grissom you know come up with this idea of ex- the exploding hatch so they can get right. out of it in case anything goes wrong and all of that is logical for them as astronauts or as pilots but certainly not for the people who've never been up right. in a plane, right? Well, and and it's, you know, one of these things is that, you know, we have this phrase, no bucks, no Buck Rogers, yeah. is that it goes the other way, too. If you don't have the Buck Rogers, you can't get the bucks. Right. Because they have to create the myth of the astronauts in order to have people enthusiastic about the space program. Yeah. yeah. But once you create the myth of the astronauts, that myth has power. Mm-hmm. And now the astronauts can control something within the space program because by creating the myths, you've given them power. Exactly. exactly. And they have a guy who isn't Werner von Braun, but is sort of the... <laughs> Stand yeah, in, I yeah. think, for Werner von Braun, <laughs> who finally goes, okay. Gotcha. Yeah, Scott Carpenter said, hey, that wasn't really a German guy. It was an American guy that they argued with over that thing. <laughs> and, and B, nobody ever argued with Werner von Braun. Because <laughs> <laughs> he was always right. Yeah, he was always right. Is it in this that the quote, our Germans are better than their Germans? Uh, no, that was in the earlier. That was in the the uh, the uh, Harry Shearer yeah. uh, presentation. Mm, that is such a famous, <laughs> was... famous quote. And that's Werner von Braun. Is that Werner von Braun who yes, said that? Yes, that was Werner so we now have the montage where they're going to take control of the capsule and they're training with their controls and how to use it. And yes, they're really going to be the pilots and cut to the very first American to go into space. And which of our astronauts is it? <laughs> it's a monkey. It's so good. It's so good. <laughs> this movie has a bunch of great cut twos. Yeah. 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 And this is one of them. And what's amazing about the film is one, these are not, this is another instance where it finds ways to expose the truth of what actually happened without actually eliminating the heroic nature of it anyway. Yes, yes. And that's what I enjoy about the film. Much like Galaxy Quest is a great way of making fun <laughs> of Star Trek while still respecting the material. We yeah. will do that on this. Yeah, I would love to do that, yeah. This film does a great job of ex- exposing what was actually happening behind the scenes, playing the astronauts for laughs because of the chimpanzee moment. Yeah. But, but still, they're real pain and hurt at being yeah. second to a monkey yep. right even though it was the right way to go because you risk an american life that's a hell of a pr disaster if they die yeah, yeah. in a rocket oh, a lot You're of monkeys s- blew up by the way <laughs> they did didn't they yeah yeah see there you go let's take a moment of silence for the monkeys <laughs> what was tarzan's companion's name again cheetah a oh, poor cheetah <laughs> um 
Stupid name. And well, we're, it really is. <laughs> it's just the Caesar, if name. you're listening to this, I'm sorry. I don't mean to kill Dave. Don't kill me. The, 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 you know, I mean, there's a lot of problems with Tarzan. <laughs> we could be really clear. Wait, let's do that tangent. Um, and what's happening while we're sending monkeys up to space, apparently to die? What are the Soviets doing? Yuri Gagarin. Yeah. yeah. Yuri Gagarin goes off to be the first man in space. This is what's interesting. People don't like people. You know, we are pretty much the premier space program now in the world. However, people forget we were fighting from behind from the beginning. Yeah. We were losing the Soviets. It, it took us to halftime to figure it out and come back and, and, and win the game. But well, and what, what they also forget is that is how important this was. Yeah, because today we're oh, yeah. just used to there's thousands of satellites up there, you know, and we don't really care about the space program. Yeah. Whereas this was front page news. Mm. We are in a race with the, with the space waste of the Russians. We're, you know, I mean, this was as serious as it could get. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, the idea that we stopped the, the last time we went to the moon was 1972. Just baffles me <laughs> well and we don't even really know how to do it now yeah oh, you're, I mean, you're saying we went to the moon <laughs> oh my god <laughs> don't do this <laughs> don't do this to me <laughs> stanley uh, kubrick told me oh we didn't go god. to the moon <laughs> oh my god <laughs> um so it's time for the shot the astronauts walking down the hallway in the silver suits this is just it's one so of those good. iconic Mm-hmm. And I don't know why they're all suited up together or where they're going. It doesn't it matter. Doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't matter. matter. And apparently, this was some hallway near where they were shooting, and they walked through it a lot, and they just kind of said, man, the light's really nice in here, yeah. and said, oh, let's do this shot. It wasn't yeah. in the script or anything. And I mean, like, how many movies have taken this? Armageddon. Mm-hmm. Armageddon. Yeah. And the, but these guys are so badass, they didn't even have to put it in slow-mo. Yep. These guys just walked right. down the hall yep. right? yeah. <laughs> with that music. Yeah, it's something about it. There's something about it. And now it's time for our first launch. And again, they withhold the reveal of who's going to be our first astronaut. And it is eventually revealed to be Alan Shepard. Right. Which is a shock because they've set up John Glenn in the movie to be the one. It does feel that way. know the history, yeah. And I love his his line, you know, dear Lord, please don't let me fuck up. <laughs> Which I would feel the same way. Mm-hmm. I, I, I have not said those exact words, but variations on them many, many times. <laughs> you can have all the bravado you want until the moment you actually have to do it. <laughs> please, please don't let me fuck up. Then you're, you're and of course he was up. on comms and everybody heard it. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. the good um, part. Um, and, and they start this thing that we see that's really a tradition is you're going to have one of the other astronauts who's going to be manning the radio. Um, and the wives are getting swamped by reporters and everybody's excited about the launch and delay yeah (laughs) and alan shepard's sitting in that uh, capsule and he's still sitting there yeah and he kind of has to pee (laughs) gordo gordo i have to urinate urinate oh boy urinate Uh, no we did not think of that this is only a 15 minute flight yeah, well, the man's been up there for hours. This is like such a perfect time for a comedic uh, breather. Yeah, it's just like because you're so excited about seeing this happen, and then they just they just drag it out. <laughs> I just love like again we have that Jaeger inspired pilot speak. Say, listen, old buddy. Yeah. <laughs> Say, listen, old buddy. They promise we'll stop at the next gas station. Request that you remain in a holding pattern till then. And then they have the pour in the coffee. The, I mean, the, oh, all God. of the liquid pouring. It's just really funny. And finally, what does he do? He pees in his suit. He pees in his suit. <laughs> go, and that somehow go. fixes all the problems. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're ready to well, launch. Like, right, I launch. don't know why that fixed all their problems, but I'm, I'm, I'll go with it. <laughs> uh, 
Finally, they launch. The reporters break into the wife's house. We go up into space. Yeah. We re-enter. We land. And there's a band welcoming him. We're playing Anchors Away. Here's my question. Is there still pee in his suit? There's got to be. It's dry by now. So, well, he's... It hasn't been that long. How long, how long was he up for? It's like it's 15, 15 minutes. 15 minutes, yeah. <laughs> I don't know the mechanics of a capsule. If you can get dry quicker. Quicker in space. <laughs> you know, I don't know the time space. That's for David. I don't know that shit. Look, they've done a lot of experiments in space at this point. Yeah, I'm they sure have. they've rated the evaporation rate of urine in <laughs> yeah, space. Yeah, that's Look, I saw Interstellar. The fact that you go down to a planet... 20 minutes later, and it's 48 years later when you get back to the ship. Fuck me up. That fucked me up, that movie. Like, I'm not joking. I'm not as smart as David about this time space shit. I'm terrible at science. And when I saw them, I was like, oh, I don't know that this, I no, know that shit exists. What's, what's really crazy, so, so it, do, it, it does exist. Of course it And does. your cell phone would not work if, it didn't, if they didn't know it. That's right. Good yeah. point. Great point. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. As long as I'm about 48 years old, if I look at an app, and uh, sometimes I feel like I'm get, going to like Twitter or something in 48 years past, but that's a totally different thing. <laughs> that's very true. Um, <laughs> and the first man in, who goes into space, he gets a good celebration. You know who he gets to meet? The president of the United States. Yeah. Ticker tape parades, and everyone is excited. Gets to meet uh, the wife. Gets to meet Jackie Kennedy. Yeah. It's very exciting stuff. I like that he drops the medal. That actually happened. The yeah, Kennedy yeah, dropping the medal. Yeah. That's, that's so great that they kept yeah. that in there. Yeah. Um, and uh, guess what? It's going to be Gus's turn next. Uh, great foreshadowing. Yeah. <laughs> I know, With dropping right? that little thing in his drink. Yeah, so this is they're, they're at a bar. They're talking about yeah. him going up. And Gus has this great plan. He's going to bring all these little souvenirs and stuff up in the capsule with him because he figures they've been in space. They will be much more valuable, which <laughs> isn't really a bad bet. Drops his one of these little miniature capsules into the glass mm. of water, and then he, off Gus goes into space, and we go right to the splash tank. And... This is it's got great sound design, and clearly, this is where you're saying that Fred Ward is such a good actor. Yes, it's, he is. Does an amazing job of being super stressed out, right? And keeping it under control, and right on the edge where you worry that he's going to lose it, but we don't see him lose it. Are you ready to come in and hook on at any time? And the hatch blows prematurely. The capsule starts to sink, and my understanding is this was really, really scary. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I this, is, this is the part, the one part of the movie I have a problem with, uh, just because I, I, I side with the, I side with the uh, astronauts, and I, I, I think they, they don't treat Gus very good here because I feel like he got exonerated by some stuff that happened later. But I understand why this is good story and good drama, and Fred Ward does a great job with it. It helps with craft this narrative and this and this let, me, myth. let me ask you this though yeah are you saying that the way that the world treats gus grissom at this moment is inaccurate or are you saying that because you believe because it's because 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 i've seen the same things you that they said no it was very it had to be a mechanical failure it would have been really difficult for him to open that hatch in right. this circumstance but I mean, Gus Grissom did not get the yeah. ticker tape parade. Oh, he no, did no. Not get I, I the, mean, that, they the, didn't meet yes. the president. Uh, that's all. F that's all fantastic juxtaposition. If you have you have uh, uh, Shepard get all that stuff. He comes right off the thing. There's a band. He's doing everything. He, uh, he he gets to meet the president, and then Gus comes, uh, and he just struts across the deck of the carrier. Nobody says anything. There's no cheering. There's no band. There's his, and and it's heartbreaking when his wife meets him. Oh, and it, yeah. and uh, and you know 
I don't get to meet Jackie. I don't. Yeah. There's no. There's no ticker tape parade. That's crushing and great for the story. I just, I just think from a personal note that you know Gus showing him, giving the intimation that he that he uh, fucked up. I, what, I don't agree with. You 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 probably have read mm-hmm. the least of this stuff. Yeah. Do you, what's your watching the movie? Did you feel that it was Gus's fault or it was the mechanical error or you don't know? The way the movie frames it is it makes it feel like it was Gus's fault okay. because yeah, of his reaction. Yeah. Because of his rea- he almost feels guilty in how he's reacting to everything. Mm. It's a blue collar guy so you you you're not shown a, an intelligent Gus. You're shown a Gus who's quiet who like says stuff on his little un- overwhelmed by shit that's happening. It's not really his jam you know when he's with the guys he's one of the guys he can hold his own and like you said everyone's interpreting what Gus is saying but when you're watching the movie and I remember this very viscerally feeling incredibly sorry for him and when you find out later that he dies in that explosion uh, when they try to make it up to him by bringing him back up into space and giving him a successful a chance to be successful in a mission in space he dies on the fucking landing pad and that is just that's he's an he's an unfortunate gentleman in this whole space program because of the things that happened to him and he never got a fair shake and it's it's a terrible thing to carry you know and his wife's reaction who plays his wife is it Kathy Veronica Carter, Veronica Veronica Carter, Carter yeah. who is great She's at playing great, these kinds great. of downtrodden yeah. act, uh, characters funny sarcastic big right. personality yeah. pissed off <laughs> yes yes yeah, she's but great when she plays downtrodden like you can feel his shame in her presence right yeah. taking on the fact that she's not going to meet Jackie that her pain of not being so it's a it's I remember that very viscerally and it's always stayed with me uh, from the movie the kid we go back to Jaeger yeah. and I think this is a really key moment because we established the contrast between the guys who are not exactly doing the real thing yeah. and the guy that is doing the real thing and there's this moment where one of the other test pilots is saying oh they're just you know they're just monkeys up there what kind of heroes are these and Jaeger defends them mm-hmm. I love he that says, it's great I think a monkey knows he's sitting on top of a rocket that might explode these astronaut boys they know that see I'll tell you something. It takes a special kind of man to volunteer for a suicide mission, especially when it's on TV. Oh, Gus, he did all right. I love that moment. Mm-hmm. I think it's really important. What do you know about the Gus thing, David? Do you know a lot about him? Oh, just, story? I mean... Uh, Not just the capsule, but like afterwards, too. Like, you know uh, Well, the, like the, the astronaut corps backed him up, and he okay. actually he actually flew the, the first Gemini mission. Okay, uh, and he was supposed to fly the first Apollo mission too. Right. So, it was, it was, you know, all, his brethren sort of showing their support for him, and unfortunately, that terrible. Well, obviously, fire. NASA does too. I mean, yes, yeah. yes, exactly. Yeah. So he did have a successful. See, I didn't know that. He, yeah, so he yeah. did go back up. Uh, he, he went. Yeah, he went up back in Gemini. Okay, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, there you go. Yeah. And there's a there's an Air Force Base main form in Indiana really? that I used to drive past all the oh, time. Yeah. He's a guy I'd like to see a movie on. Yeah. I would love to see like a solo movie on Gus Grissom. Just just an exploration of this guy because he is he's. At so many unfortunate situations, in, in yeah. doing something so brave. Yeah, absolutely. It's time for John Glenn. Yeah. <laughs> and and this seems like this is the biggest of the of the launches in the film. Mm. And we have a big setup. And in the big setup, Lyndon Johnson, who is the, still the vice president at this point, really, really wants to see John Glenn's wife, and she really, really does not want to see him. <laughs> <laughs> and she tell and the wives stand by her. Mm-hmm. She says, "I don't want to see him," and they go, "Okay." Yeah. We're going to tell him no. And the vice president is sitting in the car, <laughs> not pleased. And the phone call goes to NASA, to John Glenn, who's in the silver you know, astronaut mm-hmm. suit. You better get your wife to go talk to the vice president. And he talks to his wife. Yeah. And he says, If you don't want the vice president or the TV networks or anybody else to come into the house, then that's it, as far as I'm concerned. They are not coming in. 
and I will back you up all the way 100% on this, and you tell them that. Okay? I don't want Johnson or any of the rest of them to set as much as one toe inside our house. <laughs> okay. You tell them that that astronaut John Glenn told you to say that. <laughs> That's so good because mm. you know this whole the whole movie is the wives are supporting the husbands and all this stuff. Right. They're taking so many hits for all these times that the the husbands are going out there and doing stuff, and here's a chance for the husband to back the wife up mm -hmm. and, and a, you know, an, an important situation that, you know, ha could have repercussions for him because, because the guy threatens like, Oh, I'm going to take you off the right. flight right. rotation. And then the rest of the it team backs him up. Who are you going to get? And I'm thinking of changing the order of flight assignments. Oh yeah. Yeah. Who are you going to get? Who am I going to get? You heard right. what he said. That's right. Yeah. yeah. They, they all a, stand together. It's a great moment because I think when John Glenn says no, he knows this could be it for him. Yeah. yeah. And he's just like, this is the... So So no matter what we say that he's got an ego and we say that, you know, he's interested in John Glenn, he also is going to do the right thing. Yeah. yeah. And then the moment where the other astronauts just surround him and go, nope. Yeah. That is great. Yeah. That is... I, that's one of the highlights of the movie to me, actually, mm -hmm. this Agreed. moment. It's really, really good. I also love Donald Moffat's reaction in the car. <laughs> Yeah, such good casting. Yeah. With him. So this is Donald Moffat playing Lyndon Johnson. Yeah. He is perfect casting. He's, he's amazing. I mean, yeah, yeah. He's one and, of the greatest eyebrows in the history of America. Like yeah. both his eyebrows. Have are either great. of you seen the Brian Cranston LBJ? Yeah. I know. No. How is yeah. That? Oh, it's it's great. It's I mean, actually really good for. I, yeah, I want to see that. Yeah. I really want to see it an too. HBO movie. Because I've been reading. I read all those books. The mm -hmm. LBJ by. Uh, you uh, read all those volumes? Yeah. Jesus Christ, Steve. Yeah. It was like nine thousand pages each fucking They're volume. They're so good. They're so good. It's uh, it's um, what's the author's name? Robert. Um, can't remember. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're amazing. It's not Morris, is it Robert Morris? No, okay, no. Um, I'll cut. I will cut in. I'll tell you the name there of the book, and you can get them on Audible. And when you go to Audible, let's have an ad. You can go to Audible. Go to audible.com/slash/thecinephiles, and these books are some of the finest biographies. It's the same author who wrote the Power Broker about um, Robert Moses. These are fantastic books. Enjoy them and enjoy a free credit on us on Audible. Nailed it. Steve Morris. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you get an ad in, you get an ad in. That's right. Okay, I'm jumping in here just to tell you that the name of the author we've been talking about is Robert Caro. And he's been working on these books since the mid-70s. Four books so far, The Path to Power, Means of Ascent, Master of the Senate, and The Passage of Power. The fifth and final book should be coming out in the next few years. And these are, without question, the finest political biographies I have ever read in my life. All right, back to the show. Okay, time for uh, John Glenn's launch. And they really do make this one bigger. It is very dramatic. Again, you've got that great Bill Conti score. It's really, really well, that, powerful. That's actually Holst. That's classical music, oh, that's right? I, oh. I loved this music so much that I went out and got the whole suite, the, the planets. planets. Oh, wow. And when he's taking off, it's it's Mars, bringer of war. And then it transitions to like Jupiter or Neptune. I can't remember which oh, wow. one, but mm -hmm. I love that music so much. And I love the design that they did with the, the reflective mirror on his chest. Yeah. And seeing the reflections on his faceplate. It is, yeah. it's beautiful. And we spend a lot of time out in space. And we spend a lot of time really, this is again back in that mystical kind mm -hmm. of world, almost a spiritual place. And having Ed Harris's reactions to what he's seen, it's just, this is where I understand why you wanted to be an astronaut. It's beautiful. 
What are what are our odds at this point, you and me and John, <laughs> of going in space? I'm not going. Am, but John's out. Yeah, I'm out. My only recourse is now is to get really rich, really and, rich. and SpaceX my way out there. <laughs> but, but, but like, which I next, will do. Let's if assume that's all I have. That's let's all I will do. In there. <laughs> let's assume we have several decades left in life. Okay. Oh God, I hope not. Jesus. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Two, or three three tops. Tops. <laughs> Two or three. Like, is tops. there a chance of a space elevator or of things like that actually getting built? <sighs> not in today's economy. <laughs> All right. That's sad. Because when I was a kid, I assumed I was going to go into space. Wow. I just, because it seemed like I read, you know, comic books and science fiction and saw 2001 and there was, that, all that stuff was going to happen. All right, John Glenn. Jesus. I, I didn't assume. Well, you didn't even want to go. I, listen, I'm afraid of heights. You go about yeah. 20 feet, I'm in trouble. Yeah, you can put me in no damn thing. On a plane, I got to close my eyes the whole time. When they open the window, I'm like, just close the fucking shit. No, listen, uh, um, What's great about this moment with John Glenn is the, it's the way of the film paying you back for doing that swerve of Alan Shepard. So they're going to give you more time in the, on the John Glenn mission. And it's smart by Kaufman to do that because people like this character of John Glenn. People like, right. and they just gave him this moment mm-hmm. to stand behind his wife and stand up to the vice president and risk his shot. And these guys surround him and support him who had, he had been kind of battling with. And so to see that happen it makes sense for us to go with what is essentially the leading man of the program, leading man of the situation, and go with him and see the see space through his eyes. Well, yeah. and in terms of what our advancements, in terms of what these uh, missions are doing, yes. this yes. is you know he's he's actually orbiting. He's the first he's the first guy to orbit the planet, correct? Or first there, American. First American. Yeah. Oh, there was yeah. a Russian. Yeah. And uh, the other thing we should mention is that. Dennis Quaid, Gordo, he's down in the Australian outback. Oh, yeah. Remember Dennis Quaid? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, with some Aborigines. And this is also shot in uh, Vic- out of Victorville mm. near Edwards Air Force Base. There's another great story that one of them tells that. So now in the hotel, in addition to having Pulitzer Prize winning playwright Sam Shepard, the, the world's greatest pilot Chuck Yeager, they've flown in. Native Aboriginals oh, from wow. Australia, and they're all hanging out in the hotel together. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> man, I would have loved to walk into that lobby. <laughs> the eighties, man, the eighties. Um, so as he's as Glenn is, you know, just enjoying the beauty of being in space, back down in Mission Control, a warning light comes up on the system. Hmm. The heat shield failure, or no, it's the 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 yeah. landing gear, landing bag deployed, the landing bag deployed, and suddenly they're starting to worry. And then as they're starting to worry about what's going to happen with the heat shield and will he be able to re-enter and is he going to burn up, the fire of the aboriginals is starting to grow and sparks start flying up as they play their native music. The world is sort of filling with the fire and the fire rises up and the sparks are flying up and as the sparks fly up, we're up with John Glenn in space who sees what he describes as fireflies swirling around the capsule. I see something strange out here. Oh my goodness gracious! What the heck is that? Do you think that means anything? I've I've thought about it, and I don't know what the, the in the movie. Yeah, I. If you want my honest opinion, sure. My honest opinion is that the director went. This would be neat. <laughs> That's what I think. Yeah. That's what I think. Do it a means. cut, a match cut, or whatever. Well, I think he planned it in advance. Yeah. I think you know what you're always looking for when you're making a movie is how can I make one thing connect to another thing. Yeah. And he was okay. He was in Australia and. Mm. We have these fireflies, and I want this to feel mystical. And but I don't know. I don't know. What are the fireflies? Uh, nobody knows. They, yeah. uh, some people think it was uh, ice crystals that came yeah. off, came off, and were reflecting in the sun. But uh, right. I, uh, I felt like John Glenn never really bought that uh, idea. Mm-hmm. But and Carpenter saw them too, right? He saw some. I think so. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, that's that's just fascinating. I, I love this one with the Aborigines. You know, you just mentioned a, a scene that sticks out for you. This scene has always stuck out yeah. for me because it's so outlandishly in, weird, yeah. and yet perfectly fits in the movie. Yeah. Perfectly makes yeah. sense. I, I mean, I accepted it completely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was just like, oh, uh, okay, we're doing that, and the fire in the dark, like all of that was just great to watch. And what's fascinating about what's happening is this: John Glenn is getting more and more excited about the fireflies. We're getting more and more intense about the heat shield, right? Yeah. And is there a connection between the heat shield and the one thing they're not doing is they're not telling him mm-hmm. that there's a problem. Yeah. And it's the one the scene. one guy that he's butted heads with the most, Alan Shepard, is yeah. the guy who sticks up for him. Good yeah. point. What are we going to tell him? He's a pilot. You tell him the condition of his craft. Some things are about being professional. It's irrelevant of personal issues, right? It's just respecting. Right. They're all at that point, I'm sure, respected each other as people doing this. Yep. So, you know. Yeah. And again, this goes to why you wanted to have a pilot on the radio. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's interesting how they tell him because they don't just tell him. They say, we're going to do this procedure and when you're not going to do as many orbits. And you see that great, again, Ed Harris's acting where he hears, he understands what's underneath those comments. Yeah. Roger. Uh, do you have a time for going to Jettison Retro? Over. John. We are not sure whether or not your landing bag is deployed. Feel it is possible to re-enter with a retro package on. We see no difficulty at this time with that type of re-entry. Do you read? Roger. Understand. The subtext. Like, okay. And they're gonna, I guess, leave the what is it, the leave the thrusters or something yeah, package the, on? Yeah. And uh, rotate it so that that's in front of the heat shield and hopefully that'll take all the heat. And they start to go down, and what does John Glenn start to do? Hums. <laughs> this is so good because this is like anybody who knows anything about the space program or anything about politics. <laughs> spoilers: John Glenn lives, but <laughs> right. you, it's but you're, I'm in this moment, and the, they show the capsule, and there's just fire going past the windows, and he keeps humming louder and louder, trying yep. to keep his fear at bay. And you just and then there's the ionization blackout, and they don't know what's going to happen, and the loud everything keeps building, and you're like, "Holy shit, what's going to happen?" I know what's going to happen, but right. I'm still completely invested in this moment. Yeah, and the, you know, I mean, he screams, and they black out, and they don't know what's happened to him, and we see the flames coming off this thing, and you're like, "This thing has got to fall apart." And then we hear the humming again, and then they do again this great it's hard cut. <laughs> It's his ticker tape. It's my, it's my favorite cut in the yeah. whole movie. Oh, it's wow. the the song that he's humming goes right into it, right into the flag waving. It's like, yeah, victory. <laughs> yeah, it, it's amazing. And once again, we go back to this figure that t- seems to tower over this film. Back to Jaeger. Yeah. And they get there's a new plane there, which I think is the N- NF-104. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, which is the new big engine. And we see we've taken another technological leap by 1963. Mm. And... Even though no one's really paying attention, it seems like there's still records to break. Do you remember what kind of what record he was trying to break here? Uh, it height vertical, or? yeah, vertical from from takeoff. I think just going straight up. And the, I, wow, yeah, yeah. And it was like 21 miles. He went Good straight. Up. I think it was 27. Oh, was it? Yeah, 100, 108,000 feet. Uh, yeah, no. Yeah, no, it's, it's, <laughs> not, it's not for you. Nope. Um, and we cut to and this is I. I you look, it's a long movie, and and definitely by the time we get to this barbecue. 
it's it really drags. Me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm not gonna lie. This barbecue goes on way too long. Yeah, I, I think it's funny having just been in the editing room with student filmmakers. If Phil Kaufman had had this film with me, I'd be like, let's let's move it along. <laughs> let's cut this all. Let's out. cut this. Let's let's cut it down. Cook one piece of meat and move on. <laughs> it's not. It's not that it's not beautifully shot and beautifully acted and beautifully lit and just really well done. Yeah, but it's going on a long time. Um, we welcome all the all the astronauts driving with their wives and cars. Uh, Lyndon Johnson, who's now the president, is welcoming all of them, and we're having a big celebration. And and of course, we have our reporters there again. And the reporters are asking Gordo. They ask him the same thing that he's asked his wife multiple times: "Who's the best pilot you ever saw?" I love this. <laughs> and and there's a pause. Well, I tell you, I've seen a lot of them. And most of them are just pictures on a wall. I said pictures on a wall. Back at some place that uh, doesn't even exist anymore. And you see, he's trying to do the right thing. (laughs) He's actually trying to give a good answer that is not his normal hot dog answer. And they're not interested. That's not what they want. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They not, and he notices that they're not what, not what he wants, and then he says the same thing. Who was the best pilot I ever saw? Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, you're looking at him. <laughs> right. This is the power of the myth that you're talking about. Yeah. He, the myth gives them power, but they are also beholden to the myth now. Mm-hmm. Yep. He can't be like, Chuck Yeager's the best pilot I ever saw, because he's an astronaut. He asked me, I am. Mm-hmm. I am. Yeah. Well, and he's, cre- yeah, he's created this myth. But, of course, as we're thinking of Yeager, and that's who we cut to. We cut to Yeager. He asked for a stick of Beeman's. He really Yeah. You got any beamings? I might have me a stick. Well, loan me some, would you? I'll pay you back later. Fair enough. I think I see a plane over here with a name on it. Now you talk. And he gets in that plane. He doesn't have permission. I'm sure that's not true. I don't know. Yeah. I, don't, I, I thought the same thing when yeah. I was watching. I'm like, he can't not have permission, right? Well, and it's got to be the same thing. He's got to have flown that plane before. Yeah. And yeah. He didn't just like on a whim jump in and go, I'm going to, but, but it's great. <laughs> I'm Chuck Yeager. It was a goddamn plane. Um, but he really did crash the thing. Yeah. He really did. Right, right. Um, and he goes up and up and up. And then we cut to the fan dance, which is also another weird kind of thing in the movie. Well, what do weird. we need a fan dance for? Because so that's weird. what they did. Yeah, I mean, I it was it's really, just, it's a real thing. No, I don't. Yeah. Uh, it's very yeah. sexy. They it's just had like a, whoa. had a naked lady dancing in front of everybody <laughs> with wives and families. It's, it's so hard. It's weird. It's nineteen sixties. There's all God these, bless which it is nicely acted. I do think it's slow, but there are all these looks between the astronauts yeah. while this is happening. What do you think these looks mean? I think they're just. Thinking about where they are and where mm-hmm. they came from and, and the bond that they have. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and I have to mention, I don't want to step on your toes, but this is completely stolen by Ocean's Eleven. Yes, at the oh, end of it. It's the yeah. same music. Yes. Oh, is it? It's this clear to loon. It's the yeah. same music when they're sitting, standing mm-hmm. by the fountain. Yep. And they all give each other looks like we did it. Yep. And it's this, like, it's the same moment. And that makes sense because this film inspired this film, you know, inspired, inspired the, there's all like you said, Armageddon is in, has that comedic training or comedic, like medical moments inspired by this film, which Michael Bay has said over and over again, that the right stuff influenced that moment. And then you see this situation. Of course, it would make sense for Soderbergh, who's a master student of film to see this moment and make it work. Cause sure. it is 
beautifully done in Ocean's Eleven and, and again in Ocean's Thirteen. And then it's done uh, so well here, obviously. Well, and I think, I think everybody has been through a thing with somebody else. Yeah. Where you went through the road trip that went wrong <laughs> or you're on the film production or you're or you know obviously people who served in the military you've just had an experience yeah. and the only people who can understand what that was are the people that went through you cannot explain it to anyone and there's moments where i've been at the big huge party and i just had had to look over at that person who knew yeah and share that moment that silent moment mm-hmm. like you and that and that death, and it is powerful yeah. what's what's happening here and then yeah. we go back to him to 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 Jaeger. I mean, this intercutting with Jaeger is so fascinating. So he goes up and up and up. He gets up to one hundred eight thousand feet, and then there's an engine failure. Christ Almighty! And he starts to go down and down. And he's struggling with trying to start at the engine, struggling to start, and it's again really, really scary, really, really terrifying. Yeah. And then he bails out. And has that, again, explosive hatch blows, and he shoots up. I think he's the first person ever to bail out in a pressure suit. Yep. And then we cut away. Yeah. It's another great cut because he drifts into a cloud. He disappears into Uh, a cloud. And then that cloud, that white of that cloud, becomes the fan from the fan dance. It's a great transition. And there is, just at this moment, the sound of this huge explosion. And we see, and it's a beautiful shot big landscape with the black smoke coming up yeah and and it's just like you said about john glenn i know chuck yeager is 2017 is still alive mm-hmm. the only one by the way all the mercury seven are dead. Wow, wow. but that moment <laughs> that's so bad of the smoke coming up and the ambulance rushing out and his buddy coming out and the whole movie is summed up in one exchange he goes is that a man you're damn right it is yeah, yeah. is that a man moment that they see Jaeger and he walks out of the desert and Sham Shepard all beat up and there's something about the aggressiveness of his walk that I don't know what it is about that shot of Shepard but it hits me right in the heart it's American defiance it's this defiance to be stopped we will not be stopped we will not be no matter what the price is we will not be stopped in our expansion, in our exploration for how far we can go. And that's what hits me every single time I see that scene when I catch this movie or watching it for the yeah. podcast. Uh, it, that's what it is to me. Yeah, an individual spirit, too, because yes. you saw the guys. We're a team. We all went through. Yeah, Even though everybody points. went up separately, yes. we're exchanging yeah. these things because we all went through this thing together. And then you go to Chad Yeager, who's just all by himself. Yeah. 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 I mean, the power of it is just... I got goosebumps. I'm yeah. not lying. No. I, <laughs> well, I, I, and I knew... I had seen the movie before. I knew the moment was coming. Mm-hmm. And still, when you first see him striding towards you, it's just like, fuck. That's yeah. a mark of a great film. Yeah. And, and two things to say. Unfortunately, in real life, the stunt guy died. Who oh. jumped out of the helic? Who jumped out of the plane to the? Oh, uh, did really? Yes, he died. I didn't he, know. Oh my god! It, he never... caught the shoot, and it didn't. Oh my it god! Didn't, and he I died. Didn't know that? And in and in this crash, Chuck Yeager is exposed to these metal chemicals that burn. He's severely burnt. Severely burnt. Yeah, yeah which they that. don't show too much of in the movie to show him bloody and whatever. But he's actually severely burnt from that accident. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we have one more launch. 
And it's Gordo's. He finally gets his chance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and what's Gordo doing when he's uh, sitting on the launch pad waiting? He's humming or is he whistling? He's, he's sleeping. Sleeping. He's sleeping. <laughs> That's right. Which is like, juxtaposed to what he was doing with the when he was doing the training and the red lights and all this kind of stuff. Because yep. he was the only one who actually slept yeah. in orbit. Yeah. None of the astronauts. Oh, ever really? Done that. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Yep. Um, yeah. He sleep. They wake him up. <laughs> and uh, we have Gus sitting next to Eric Severide, which is kind of cool. That's yeah. very cool. And Gordo is the last man to go into space alone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he spent more time up there than all the rest of them combined. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Which is so ironic because he's the first one we meet and he's the last one to go up. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting arc for his yeah, character. So, yeah. So after the movie came out, it, there was a huge amount of buzz about this film and it was not a success. Financially, yeah, it right. was a, really a box office failure. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons they talk about it for being a failure is who was running for president that year? John Glenn. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's so weird. And people thought, oh yeah, it's a political film, or yeah. it's a you know, right. oh I don't want to go to. I, he's not my political party. I don't mm-hmm. want to go see that. And it just really tanked at the theaters. Pretty much destroyed the Alan Ladd camp company that produced it. Wow. And and yet went on to win four Academy Awards and right. has become a hugely yeah. important film. So much so that Roger Ebert listed it as his number two film of the 80s. Oh, wow. And Siskel number three film of wow. the 80s. Which I would not put it that high. No. At wow. all. But, it, it, I mean, it's a really important film. Yeah. And, I mean, Sam Shepard was nominated. Yeah, he was, was nominated for yeah. Best Picture. Yeah. It was... It yeah. was I don't even think I would put it at two or three for the 80s. No, but I love a lot this of movie. good movies in the 80s. And, and I know that we this movie is long. And we talked about it. I don't watch it that often because it's mm-hmm. long. But it's also one of those long movies that it gets to the end and I just want it to keep going. Yeah. I want to know what keeps happening with these guys. Because we want to go. Let's go to Gemini. Program. Yeah. Let's go to Apollo. I just want right. it to keep going. You know? Well, and yeah. our fascination with the space program is still very powerful today. I mean, we still have with multiple miniseries from Earth to the Moon. We mm-hmm. had the Astronaut Wives. That was a miniseries that was on right. a Lifetime, I think, or one of those one of those uh, cable channels. And so, this idea of the space program at that time is still something that resonates with us because of that idea of expansion exploration. And Steve, you brought something up earlier. Is that spirit gone? And that may be why we go back to this, because we, that there is nothing currently in our lives other than technology where we're breaking new ground, right? We're exploring uh, in depth these things. We've tried to go into space, and we, but until we land on Mars, we haven't done anything new. And so this whole idea, we, we haven't landed on the moon since 1972. Why not? You know, this yeah. is an interesting thing. So this whole idea of going back to space and going back, I think it's important and it's a re and it, it identifies us as a country. Like it's one of these identifiers of us as a country. So it's, I'm not surprised that the fascination of it still persists in 2017. I want to ask you, David, maybe it's too big a question to answer. What do you think we should do next in space? Uh, wow. <laughs> Good question. What's the, what, what would but, be the Dave Rapp plan? Oh, the Dave Rapp plan. Uh, I like that. No, I mean, I, I, I agree with John. It's, it's, we have to get off this planet. Mm. We're we don't have enough resources. We keep like when we were kids, the population was three billion. Yeah, do you remember that when we were in I grade do. school? Like I was in third or fourth grade, I learned that the population of the Earth was three billion people. It is like almost eight billion people now. Mm-hmm. We don't have it. Like we, the, our only hope is to go <laughs> move out, and so like I, I feel like we got to work towards colonization somewhere. Set up a moon base. Set up something on Mars. Yeah. Like anything we can do we're looking for those for those uh uh exoplanets for a reason you know yeah and it's unfortunate because i feel like we're stuck we're feel like i feel like we're we're we're, we're landbound because 
we're spending so much money on defense and military spending and all this stuff, and we're cutting the space budget like crazy. And though, like what happened with Krista McAuliffe, what happens, oh, I think what happened recently as well, these things, like they go to make you question the space program. Like any mistake in the space program makes you, because yeah. the cost is in the billions. Yeah. You it know, it's not, it's not chump change. Well, it's also, I think, uh, what's so interesting watching this movie is how much our relationship to risk has changed. Uh, yeah. You know, is that you had this one in four test pilots are going to die. Now, that's crazy. And mm -hmm. I'm not saying that we should do that. Right. But there was a time, you know, whether it was the great explorers on sailing ships or the people settling the Old West, yeah. where the idea that risk was sort of understood and that there were things worth risking for. That's really changed. Mm -hmm. You know, like the, the statement you hear all the time right now is safety first. Right. And there's a lot of people, and me included, that believe we should always say safety second. <laughs> is that sometimes there are things more important than safety. It's not that safety is not important. And I certainly don't want to have one in four test pilots die, but there are things that are worth taking risks for. Yeah. And it's funny because having done the shark show, I ran a lot of people who were swimming in the water with great white sharks, right. which I wasn't going to do. <laughs> but they believed that it was worth it because these were animals that were being killed and that understanding them and learning about them. And I heard many times from them, it is worth risking my life to do this. Mm. And they believe so passionately in what they were doing and you know what there was a lot of the same kind of macho ego stuff on the boat mm -hmm. with these divers as there was watching in the test pilots and it made me think a lot about you know what there are things worth taking risks for mm. yeah um and the idea of exploration and the idea of pushing human boundaries that's Something I do think we've lost. Mm -hmm. I think where, as you say, where we pushed in technology, those have pushed us to become safer, more insular, mm -hmm. more pampered, and not to become more like Chuck Yeager, mm -hmm. you know? Or these astronauts. Or these astronauts, yeah. you know, who are willing to risk things, you know? Yeah, yeah. But, and the, the, the idea of uh, science for the sake of finding of out something out, not yeah. knowing what the end point is going to be, like... Chuck Yeager said, like before before the space program, the Air Force just flew to like figure out weapons or this is our new thing, but they weren't doing research. And so then, once the space program started, they started doing all these flights to research what happens to the human body and what 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 if we bring this up and what if we bring that up. And without the space program, we wouldn't have cell phones with GPS. We wouldn't have laptop computers. We wouldn't have so freaking many things. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Well, and we wouldn't have an entire generation of scientists that were inspired by watching these astronauts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, inspiration in these myths. That's what we talked about earlier. This is powerful. Um, yeah. And we don't have those myths anymore. And, and part of it, and maybe this is kind of going into what my final thoughts are, oh. but I was, I was thinking about this a lot, is after this era, we get Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And then we get Watergate. And then we get, you know, scandal after scandal. We get Monica Lewinsky. We get the Iraq War, the Afghanistan War. We get Iran all of these Contra, things yeah. that erode our faith in the America that this generation believed in. And while I am glad that Woodward and Bernstein exposed Nixon and Watergate, I also think, because that was the truth, mm -hmm. I also think that damage has been done when, when we don't have these myths and we don't believe anymore, it stops us from going to the moon. Mm -hmm. There's certain 
basic, and I won't say they're uniquely American principles, but they are American principles of the frontiersman, the person going out on the adventure, the drive to do better, the idea that with discipline and guts and intelligence and hard work and ego, you can accomplish anything. And I think that has been eroded. And what's interesting today is that you can accomplish anything has mostly been replaced by you can become rich or famous. Yes. And rich and famous is not what the right stuff is about. No. It is about you breaking that, going to fight that demon. Yeah. That's what it's about. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think we have that anymore. No, because guess what? Even when Gordo Cooper was right at the pinnacle, everybody talking to him, wanting to know what he did, he knew who was really at the top of the pyramid. Yeah. It was still Chuck Yeager. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. yeah. What are your final thoughts? Um, this film is a dated film. And I think if you're a massive NASA fan, as you know, Dave is, and uh, I don't know how massive your, your fandom yeah. is, Steve, pretty large. Okay. <laughs> I'm it, below Dave, but I, yeah, you know, yeah. it's, it's one that this one took a while for me to get through. And I, I can watch it three. I can watch Lawrence of Arabia like twice in a day. It, it would never make me tired. But this film feels a bit dated at times. It's a 1982 film. It has these, this kind of mixture. And I felt Black Beauty was at times a little d- draggy for me as well. Right. So it was still enjoyable to revisit the film again because I hadn't seen it in such a long time. Uh, and I enjoyed a lot of the scenes in the film but there was so much that I felt could have been cut out of the film it's still an enjoyable film if you're in into this this is a if you're not that knowledgeable rather of the NASA program or of astronauts or of this whole thing the space program then I would encourage you to watch this movie if you're listening to us because a lot of fans listen to us and don't watch the movie they listen to us first and then watch the movie definitely watch the movie it gives you a good like template from which to go and explore and lose yourself in a Wikipedia hole or in a YouTube hole discovering more and more stuff about these kinds of things or picking up Thomas Wolfe's book and reading it so to me it's a film that is definitely worth us talking about here on the Cinephiles it is a great film Absolutely, the score. It won four Oscars at, uh, at the Academy Awards that year. And so to me, it is a film that still stands the test of time. But I want to add what you were talking about, this idea of the expansion, this idea. I think there's. I think nothing happens in a vacuum. And I think as if we've questioned our leaders, now we're starting to question our science even more so. Global warming, these kinds of things, it makes us question science. It makes us question whether science has been lying to us. When scientists get disproven about things, there's a whole segment of our population who wants to say, See, science is bullshit. You know, they want to embrace religion more because they fear the end of the world. They fear all this kind of stuff. And also, we are living longer. And because we're living longer, we want to take less risks because we want to live longer. You know, there's the whole obsession with it. They, they, they were all smokers. The whole, now, you finally have probably found any astronauts who smoke, you know? And so, this well, whole they didn't thing, know then. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. But there's this whole thing of like wanting to eat cleaner, wanting to live better, wanting to live healthier, wanting to work out more, all these kinds of things. So, that there's a, there's a price to pay for everything. And I think that's what the movie shows you. You get the myth, but people pay the price for that myth in the long run. And in the end, yeah, what is it worth it? Yes, it inspired people. But look how we are now. Where is our next step? And I think the movie brings you back to a moment in time when we were when we loved our country and enjoyed our country and believed in our country and cheered our country on. And I think a lot of that, as you said, Steve, has been lost through the years, through the numerous scandals that our governments and presidents and people of power have been involved in, and even our preachers and what have you. You know, any segment of society is affected by this. So go back, enjoy the movie, remember a time when we had heroes and 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 hope that we will have that time again. The age of heroes, as I say in the Justice League trailer, the age of heroes must return. Wow. 
So, Dave, what are your final thoughts? Oh, man. Well, going to what you guys were talking about, I can't remember who said the quote, but it's, you know, uh, idealism is what comes before experience and cynicism is what comes after. Yeah. And, oh, and, wow. And that is a great quote. It, you know, we're, we are now cynical about everything. Yes. And I'm, I'm, I'm certainly guilty. I'm a huge cynic. But you, I, it's so wonderful to look back at this time of idealism and where everybody pulled together for something. And I can't give an objective view on it. I'm not, I, I, I love the space program so much. I was watching this movie. I was looking everything up. I was pulling out my college textbooks on <laughs> compressible flow. And I was pulling out, I have books from, you know, from Deke Slayton and, and Alan Shepard and Chuck mm-hmm. Yeager on my shelf. And I'm pulling those out. And it, like, it made me want to go f- pull out from the earth to the moon, which I definitely own and watch Apollo 13 again. Like yeah. I love the space program so much that I can't dis- disassociate myself from this movie. It is long and I don't watch it very often, but being able to go back and watch it, I was so excited to be invited here and I'm so glad we got to talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's what we think about the right stuff. And, of course, we always want to hear what you think about the right stuff. You can visit us on Facebook at The Cinephiles, C-I-N-E-F-I-L-E-S. You can subscribe to us all over the place on iTunes, on Stitcher, on YouTube. You can leave us your comments on YouTube, your reviews on iTunes, which really help us because they help other people find our show, help us go up in the rankings. Plus, we like reading them. Yeah. <laughs> Mostly, they've been pretty nice. They've been very nice. Thank you so much for Thank you them. very much for those reviews. Of course, you can also support us on patreon there you can pledge a certain amount of money it's a huge support to the show and some and we'll give you do things like follow you on social media Mm. we send out special messages we do special audio clips that are exclusive to our patreon followers and you can also pick a movie in fact we have at least two movies that i can think of that are coming up fairly soon that were picked by fans on on uh on our patreon page um as always, you could reach me at SR Morris on Twitter. John, where can they reach you? You guys can always reach me at The Roca Says on Twitter and on Instagram. And to go along with what Steve just said, we might be looking at someone to help us uh, do a little legwork for the cinephiles, do you know some, some intern work, so to speak, for lack of a better term. Maybe helping us with a Patreon page, maybe helping us you know, create a schedule for these movies, create, a, create a, a document that lists the movies that we've seen and the guests that we have. Something that just kind of does, just puts, puts us in a time capsule, so to speak. So, for those of you who listen to us and are avid listeners to us, tweet at us or DM either one of us, and we might even con- we will consider your 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 application or whatever, and we'll figure it out and see if there's a spot to work here with the cinephiles in some capacity, which we would love to do. Um, also, you guys can uh, follow me now uh, on uh, what on Collider. I am full time at Collider now, so some at some point my my writing will show up again. But in the meantime, uh, the Outlaw Nation and Top Ten Show on the SK Plus podcast channel just goes. The, just go to the Schmoes No iTunes feed and you'll find my shows there. It's a grow, the growing Cinephiles family. Dave, yes. you are not on social medias. I'm not. So if you want to reach Dave Rapp, if you are disgusted by the things that he said on the show, yes. if you have real problems with it, write me. I will get the information to Dave. And I welcome him. <laughs> so that's it for this week. But do, you have, do you have a project or anything that you got coming up or coming out soon? Uh, yeah, I'm working on something new. I, I don't think I can it? talk about okay. it yet. But right. uh, I'm with some of your other guests, <laughs> that I, I may be working on some stuff that I'm really excited about and am having a good time doing. Awesome. All right. Well, that, that's it for this week. We'll see you next time on The Cinephiles.